All right, we're off and running. It is Saturday morning, January the 6th, 2024, 919 on the West Coast, 19 minutes afternoon on the East Coast. Welcome. Welcome to one. Welcome to all. Welcome to the Krug Show, brought to you by Pig and a Pickle, the best barbecue in all of Northern California. Check them out in Emeryville and Corte Madera. They're open seven days a week from 11 a.m. till 8 p.m., but they do run out, so they're only open until they run out. Pig and a Pickle. Get the brisket. Get the brisket chili. It's all great, but uh, go say hi to Damon and Mary and tell them that Larry Kruger sent you. They are the title sponsor of the Krug Show. And, of course, we're also brought to you by New York-style Italian sausage. Um, I'm thinking about making some of the stuffed mushrooms later today uh, just for the family tonight. And I make them with the Italian mild of the New York-style Italian sausage. It's the only kind of sausage I eat. Uh, It's all great, though. The Italian spicy, the Italian mild, the chorizo, the breakfast sausage. All top-tier stuff. So check out New York-style Italian sausage. You can find it in every grocery store throughout Northern California and parts of Central California and Southern California, as well as Arizona. They are expanding. They are expanding their reach. Check out the New York-style Italian sausage. Um, and, of course, we are brought to you by Marin Autoglass. MarinAutoglass.com, 415-883-3030. Uh, you shatter a windshield, you need a new one, man, you don't know where to go. You're really upset because your window got busted and cracked or whatever it is. You just call them, tell them your make and model, your VIN number. They pop out to where you're at. They pop out the old windshield. They pop in the new one. They glaze it all in, sweep away the glass, one-stop shop. Uh, what we like to call Marine Auto Glass is a lifesaver. That's right. Uh, when you need them, you need them. And MarinAutoglass.com, great company. Thanks to Saeed, the owner of Marin Autoglass, for being a sponsor of the Krug Show. Once again, 415-883-3030. And we're also brought to you by both Underdog Fantasy and Mojo Fantasy. Check the link, link in the description of the show. And uh, make sure you use that promo code Krug, K-R-U-E-G, and they will match you in up to your first $100 I'm loving Mojo Fantasy. I'm loving Underdog Fantasy. They both are outstanding. If uh, if you love fantasy football and you love to uh, you know to to uh, throw a few ducats around, so thanks to our sponsors for being our sponsors. Um, it is our normal hit with the coach. The coach will be in here in just a matter of moments. Uh, he was running a little bit behind, so we kind of pushed the thing back to nine fifteen. And I don't know that we pushed it back on YouTube or in StreamYard, so I apologize to those who have been waiting. But we are customarily a few minutes behind, but today we are off and running uh, right at roughly eh, roughly 9.20, roughly 9.20. So hope everybody's having a great day. NFL football today, we're going to get into the Niners game tomorrow. If you're down in Santa Clara tomorrow for Niners-Rams, I'll be on the radio with the great Lorenzo Neal at 11 a.m. from the Santa Clara Hilton. Uh, which is on the back side of the parking lot there at Levi Stadium. Stop by and say hello. We'll do pregame tomorrow uh, on 95.7 The Game Radio from um, 11 a.m. until 1 p.m., and then we will get to the game at 125. Niners and Rams, the Niners are 12-4, and four, the Rams are 9-7. and seven. Neither team has tons on the line here, 
and it sounds like um, it's going to be a battle of backup quarterbacks. Not sounds like it is. It's going to be a battle of backup quarterbacks. Sam Darnold goes for the 49ers. Um, and of course the great Carson Wentz uh, goes for the Rams. And, and, you know, if you say that Carson Wentz, it's like Carson Wentz, I think is three and career against the Niners. Uh, he's got a three and career record against the 49ers in games that he started. So, um, but the Niners also have won nine in a row in the regular season against the Rams. And they're trying to push it out to 10 and 0. Carson Wentz in his career. What a weird career. He's 46, 46 and one. And the guy had a great season. He was a high draft choice. And now he's the backup to Matthew Stafford in LA. And then Sam Darnold also was a very high draft pick. Number third, three overall, I believe. And he is 21 and 34 career. So, you know, Sam Darnold, um, I personally would love to see Sam Darnold play for like three quarters and then see Brandon Allen for a quarter. I mean, you may need to lean on Brandon Allen in the playoffs at some point, And why not? Why wouldn't you want Brandon Allen there? Uh, but it doesn't sound like that's going to be the case. It sounds like uh, Kyle Shanahan's going to give the entire game to Sam Darnold. It was funny. Darnold was asked this week, do you regret signing with the 49ers? And who's going to say, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I sure wish I didn't come here. I'm a real idiot. You know, it's like, he's not going to say that. Of course, he said, no, no regrets. Um, sometimes I laugh at some of the questions that get thrown to these guys because it's like, you know, do you need to ask a question when you kind of know the answer? Um, that's, you know, uh, will you be satisfied with a loss? No, no, we will not be. You know, it's like... Uh, are you going to be playing to win? Yes, 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 we are. Um, you know, it's those kinds of questions, but whatever. Um, but the Niners are 12 and four. The Rams are nine and seven. And, um, you know, the Niners clinched the number one seed in a first round bye last week by beating the commanders in Maryland. And that allowed Shanahan to uh, to sit Brock Purdy in place of Sam Darnold. And he also has given Christian McCaffrey time off. It sounds like Trent Williams is not going to go at left tackle. Um, so, you know, basically Shanahan said all the regulars are going to play, but then he said, no Purdy, no CMC. I think it's come out in the last 24 hours. No Trent Williams, but how much do we see Nick Bosa? How much do we see Debo Samuel? How much do we see Brandon? Ayuk, George Kittle, um, you know, so it, Kyle Shanahan seemed to be a little weary of the two weeks off, but that's what the 49ers have here. They've got two weeks off. Um, I personally think when you've played, you know, 16 games already, plus three preseason games, so you've played 19 games, you're planning on playing 22 games and getting all the way to the Super Bowl. Uh, a couple weeks off in a sport like football where it's a real head knocker, you'd think they would appreciate that. Um, so, but, you know, the 49ers, I, I think the players definitely do. It is interesting. Steve Young, you know, voiced some concern over Brock Purdy sitting out three weeks. And um, I love Steve and Steve's a smart guy. And obviously he knows a lot about it, but I just think it's a case by case basis. And if you really look at Brock Purdy, you know, the most games he's ever played in college, I think was 13. Uh, This is his first full year in the NFL. He's already played 18 games. If they're going to go to the Super Bowl and win it, he will have played 21 games. Uh, the most uh, pass attempts he's ever had in a season at any level was 475 pass attempts. 
He's already at 459 right now. I like the way Purdy looked off off the bye week in week one against the Steelers. I really like the way that Purdy looked off the bye week um, late in the year against Jacksonville. I thought that was the game that kind of showed his most arm strength. So I'm not afraid. And Purdy was like, hey, you know what? We talked about it. It was a discussion. Um, people try to press him on it and say, well, you know, what did you say? How do you feel about it? You don't seem like the kind of guy that wants to sit around and wait and watch. And he's like, Hey, we had a conversation. So, um, and you know, everybody's dinged up this time of year. I mean, you've been, they've been playing football in, in practicing football since, you know, almost the 4th of July. I mean, seriously, it's, it's, it's January. So, I mean, it, you know, I, I would imagine every single one of these guys won't actually feel like themselves for three, four or five weeks. The quarterback's not banging heads like the lineman, but still uh, he's got br- bumps and bruises and things that are bothering him. And it's like, rest up, rest up, uh, you know, clear your fatigue, um, heal your body of all the minor ailments and bruises. And uh, it's not, he said, hey, look, it's not like I'm going to be sitting on the couch I'm going to be practicing Sam Darnold and Brock Purdy this week split the first team reps. So even though Sam's starting, he didn't get all the first team reps. Half of them went to Brock Purdy. So I I don't really think that uh, the rest is going to be a problem. I think it's going to be a positive for Brock Purdy. And then I guess my, my counter to Steve or to anybody who said, you know, I'm really concerned would be like, you know what? To me, this is a discussion of what can you live with? You know, what can you live with? And I can live with, um, you know, him being rusty for in, in a divisional round game at home for a series or two over, you know, what happens if he pulled a muscle, calf muscle, hamstring muscle, and he doesn't have his normal quickness and mobility that would take that would hurt his skill set and hurt his value proposition. What if he got knocked out? What if he missed the game? I think the Niners Super Bowl chances go right out the window. I mean, I like the 49ers. I think they're a good team. They got a lot of talent. I don't think they're winning the Super Bowl with Sam Darnold. I don't necessarily even think they're going to the Super Bowl with Sam Darnold. So, you know, it's just a Brock's playing at a really high level and um, protecting his health, I think, is a smart thing to do. So I'm in favor of sitting him out. Uh, the Niners, of course, will not play in the wild card round, and then they will get the lowest remaining seed. Um, and that means they could, you know, in the divisional round, and that means that they could take on this Ram team. If the Rams somehow, um, you know, they're they're going to be, you know, either the sixth seed or the seventh seed. So the Rams clinched a wild card berth last week, and all that's on the line for them this week is whether or not they will be the sixth seed with a win or a Green Bay loss or the seventh seed uh, with a loss to the 49ers and a Green Bay win. So either way, though, the Rams may play the Niners in the playoffs. So this game's really a tricky game on a lot of fronts. On one hand, you you don't want, you know, you want to compete. You want to win every game you play. Um, As simple as that. But at the same time, um, you know, you know, there's all kinds of things that you want to, there's the, there's a certain way you want this game to come down. You don't want to get, you don't want to get blown out by a team that, um, you may have to play in a couple of weeks. 
Uh, that's for sure. You want to be competitive. And yet, if you had some awesome play that you had designed to go against the Rams, you probably don't want to use it this week. Um, so it's like, and then, and then for Kyle Shanahan, you got the question of who do I play? Who do I not play? Well, that, that decision's not nearly as hard because this isn't preseason game number three. You know, it's not like you can just say, Hey, all the starters sit it out and we got a 90 man roster and all the, all the backups will play. You don't have that luxury. Only two guys can be called off the practice squad, uh, to play in this scenario. And we'll discuss that later on as far as which two that will be. They'll make that announcement. Uh, later on today and and make that public but coach and I will speculate on that uh, in a bit but um, you know so you don't have the ability to sit everybody like you would in a preseason game but at the same time you want to sit all your injured players and then you're only dressing a certain number of guys so then you're going to start with your your remaining starters and at some point I would imagine in the game you may go to your to your backups but then you got to decide um, when that is and um, can you get through the rest of the game with your backups? Because the last thing you want to do is start, I don't know, fill in the blank, um, Javon Hargrave. You start Javon Hargrave, you pull him out and you go with somebody else at halftime and then that guy gets hurt. And now you, and Javon takes off his tape and he's on the sidelines and he's yucking it up with his teammates and he's having a good time, and he's cold. Oh, Javon, Givens just had a pull. You know, Joseph uh, Sebastian Joseph Day just had a had a cramp. Get in there now. You're asking a guy to jump back in the fray, and he is cold. And you know, so you really got to make sure. This is a very complicated game. You don't want to show too much. You don't want to lose. You don't want to get anybody hurt. You want to make sure you play your backups, but you don't want to then go back to your starters uh, late in the game. So, it, you know, there's a lot going on here. If you have a great play or a great uh, idea that you think is going to work against the Rams, do you use it here? Probably not. Right? You're not going to use it here. Um, you're, you might play them in a couple of weeks. So it's it just like the whole thing is kind of it's clunky. And one of the things that I'd love to see them do is allow the teams that get in this position, like the 49ers. You've been so good through 16 weeks or 17 weeks of football, 16 games, that week 18 is has no meaning to you. Well, then you should be able to empty your practice squad. There's 16 guys there. You should be able to call up 16 guys and put them on the field. Why not? I mean, it's it to me, it makes perfect sense, and it should be the advantage of um of of truly clinching early is that you can use the entirety of your practice squad but they haven't they don't have that rule in the books right now and you know so that's just not the way it's going to go now as far as the rams Sean McVay has always been known as a guy who does not play any of his significant regulars one snap in the preseason he is the rest over rust poster child I mean, seriously, um, he doesn't care about being rusty in week one. And and I get his mindset. His mindset is, you know what? You spend a lot of money on your roster in the NFL. We want to make sure our money plays in week one. So we're going to make sure that our guys are ready in week one. Um, and that's been his philosophy in the preseason. 
his game plan in this one is to rest several key players. So um, Matthew Stafford, as we said before, they're going with Carson Wentz. They're not going to go with Stafford. Aaron Donald, Cooper Cup, Kyron Williams, the linebacker Ernest Jones. From what I'm hearing, um, that's he's going to rest all those guys. So the Rams and the Rams in the first round are either going to play at Dallas, they're going to play Detroit or Philadelphia in that wild card round. Um, you know, and it's it's you know it's it, it's interesting when you look, um, you know how he's going to go about it. it. To me, my read on it is it sounds like he's almost saying bring on Dallas and trying to avoid Detroit. Uh, McVeigh was quoted this week. He says, I think when you look at the projections, I think they are all excellent teams regardless. Taking all that into consideration didn't really feel like the other side of it to try to do something to maintain the sixth or or know you would be in the seventh uh, or, or know or no, you could be the seventh was best for our team. So he's just going to let it let it play out, and he's going to rest the guys he wants to rest. Um, and so he's going with Carson Wentz, and Wentz has started 92 games in his career. He's definitely happy for a chance to play. Uh, he had to wait till November to sign with the team, and now he's got to wait till you know the season finale to actually get some action. So Wentz was quoted this week. He said, for me, it's just go play, have fun, try to help this team win. I know it's a different circumstance. It's week 18. It's all those things, but my job is to still go out there and try to help this team win and figure out all that later on. But I'm enjoying it and excited for it. So, um, you know, this is this is going to be an interesting football game on a lot of fronts. I all I would say is if you are um, a betting person, maybe stay away. Maybe stay away from this game. It's just too hard to predict. I mean, I don't know. I don't know who's going to come out and get the upper hand. Um, you know, and once again, I don't know what, you know, I think the 49ers starters are better than the Rams starters. Clearly that's why the Niners are 12 and four. And that's why the Rams are nine and seven. But, um, I also think the Niners backups are better than the Rams backups. But once again, what's Kyle going to show if the Rams somehow win their wild card game, there's a distinct possibility. They return to Levi's for the rematch against the Niners in the divisional round. And so, um, you know, I, I would imagine what you're going to see is a much simpler game plan from the 49ers, maybe a lot of running. I'll tell you what I want to see is I want to see J.P. Mason. And that's really the first thing I want to get into this morning is who are you eager to see? Because I'm eager to see J.P. Mason. And to me, it's like, let me see, you know, let me see a guy who, um, I think should have played a lot more this year. And, you know, it's like Christian McCaffrey's dinged up in week 18 and, 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 and you're on the verge of going to the playoffs and he's dinged up and he's one of your best players. He probably could have been healthier if they had just run Elijah Mitchell more. He could probably could have been healthier if they had run JP Mason more, but Kyle Shanahan's very stubborn about that. I asked him, um, you know, I asked him, whatever week it was, week four, five, six, I'm like, Christian McCaffrey's on pace for 400 touches. You know, are you going to, do you feel like you should make it? I said, is his, you know, usage sustainable? 
And do you want to get some of your other guys in there? And he just kind of was like, Hey, you know, uh, he's our running back and uh, we like to throw it to him too. Um, and so, you know, we're going to use him, but it just, to me, it seems, it seems like, okay, well, they got to this point and McCaffrey's hurt and you know, they only, they really lucked out that he's not done for the year. Um, so, you know, it's like, I don't know. I don't, I, to me, that, that doesn't seem like, like the best game plan. You know, that just doesn't seem like the best game plan. It's like, let's run our, let's run our really special MVP candidate running back into the ground, despite the fact we have other backs and just hope that he doesn't suffer the kind of injury that is going to cost him his season. I mean, you McCaffrey got to week 18. He's dinged up. He's not going to play today, but he easily could have been out for the year. And now you're going to go into the playoffs with Elijah Mitchell and JP Mason. Now I like Elijah Mitchell. He's coming off a really nice game against the commanders. I like JP Mason. I think he's got a lot of talent, but the Niners chances of winning the super bowl drop dramatically. If you don't have Christian McCaffrey. And I just thought it was really, I mean, borderline reckless on Kyle's part to just run him and use him the way he did this year when he had other guys. Um, I asked Chris Kosarek about, I said, Hey man, you got Hargrave and you got Armstead and you know, you got Bosa and you know, you got this great defensive line. Uh, your backups are not quite as good because you gave that money to Hargrave. Are you going to run your top defensive line out there? Um, you know, more snaps this year. He's like, no, no, I'm going to rotate my guys because if I don't, they're not going to get to the playoffs healthy. So it's like, you understand the need to rotate Hargrave and Bosa, but there's no need to rotate McCaffrey. And now here we get to week 18. And if you had to play the playoffs today, would McCaffrey be able to go? Uh, is McCaffrey a hundred percent right now? So I don't know. I mean, Shannon knows a lot more football than I do, but um, I don't get it. I, I to me, I, I have not understood their usage. It's like, is the plan to get Christian the MVP or is the plan to get the Niners the sixth Lombardi trophy? Because he's hurt in week 18. Um, and if the playoffs were today, would he go? I don't know. Um, you know, that that to me is the is the is the uh weird part about this year is the way he used Christian McCaffrey. It was almost like the way Steve Kerr uses Steph Curry and Draymond Green and Clay Thompson. It's like, who's coaching the team? Are you coaching the team? Is Christian coaching the team? You know, who's deciding when Christian plays? You, Bobby Turner, or Christian? And I get the sense it's um it's a little bit of it's a little bit of Christian. You know, he's he's it's Christian's making the call. If he wants to play, he's in there. So I don't know. I don't know what to say. Adam says, uh, Kyle won't rotate CMC because CMC won't let him. I know <laughs> it's, it's, uh, you know, strawberry reacts as Larry's acting like he's out for the season. No, Larry's not. Larry's just saying he's out in week 18 and he could be out for the season. And they gave him so many touches that, um, easily could have lost him easily could have lost him. I mean, all I would say is this, I've been watching Niner football for decades. 
I don't remember a playoff run when Steve Young was in there that Steve Young wasn't healthy for the playoffs. Don't remember that. I don't remember a playoff run um, when when Joe Montana wasn't in there. Don't remember that. But now you got a situation where where uh, you know you've got Christian McCaffrey, and if the playoff games were today, he wouldn't be in there. It's all about nothing. People are like, "Oh, you're sounding like, yeah, you know, you're sounding like the sky is falling," and this and that. No, I'm I'm just bringing up the fact that you, if you didn't have depth, that would be bad. The Niners basically went through this season like their backup running back wasn't any good. When their backup running back's good, they went through their season like the third string running back cannot be trusted. When the third running back can be trusted. So it's just, it's, it's, it was a weird situation. Luckily, it didn't burn them. Luckily, they'll have McCaffrey for the playoffs. Um, we bring in the coach. Good morning, coach. Good morning, Larry. How are you? Good, man. How you doing? All over the place, man. Just got back from running around, took the dog out, came home, rushing to you in the middle of a storm, and the power was out. Uh-oh. So, had to get the power back on, but we're good to go, man. What kind of storm? Um, it's like hail and rain. It's supposed to snow today. Like winter's coming here. It's it's getting nasty. Wow, it's getting nasty. So we've got usually once you we get like a rainy season right when winter starts here, and it rains, but it's really snow. But the ground is too hot from all of summer, so the ground isn't cold enough yet to really let anything stick. So now that you're starting to see like the ground is getting tougher, the terrain is getting a little bit more permafrost over. Now that rain is coming down as hail and the ground is colder. So it's going to start sticking. So as you can see, I've been, it just ain't my first rodeo. It's about to start coming. Snow's coming. Seriously. That's the, the privilege of living on the West coast is that it's just want to call it privilege, call it whatever. Life's a little easier weather wise. Right. I mean, it's some people come out here and say it's boring. You know, because every day, like the Bay Area, whatever it is today, it's it's maybe a little cloudy. It's uh, instead of being, you know, in the summertime, it might be 70. Uh, now in the wintertime, it's 50, you know, 49 or something like that. You know what I mean? Right, <laughs> like, right, right. right. <laughs> there will be no snow. Uh, we do get a lot of rain, actually, sometimes uh, after after New Year's. But it's basically just my it's almost always between 55 and 75 all the time mm. all the time you lucky bastard. Uh, yeah <clears throat> i don't know i don't know i don't know if i'm lucky because if you like the seasons i mean what do you like the uh the variety do you like these storms do you like the heat do you like the the variety or would if you could make it more mild throughout the year would you take that I would say, man, like, all right, so I spent some time out west. Um, I where, was where the, out west? I'm in Irvine. Irvine, okay, LA. Yeah. So, like, I get the the weather, the climate, I get that. But the air quality is completely different from out here in the East Coast to the West Coast. So, I'll give it to you guys. You guys have great weather, right? Right. And you really don't have that many like 
We have environmental disasters. You guys get forest fires. You guys get earthquakes. Right. But you can't plan for the earthquake. Exactly. That's just like, spontaneous. It could happen, like right now. Yeah. You just got to ride it out. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? So in a way, there really is no earthquake season. I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm speaking out of school. But for me, I like the seasons because it does something to like the environment around you. So like if it's, it's hot, right? In a way, you you can't wait for winter to come to kind of like kill off all of like the debris in the winter. Things die, everything falls off. Then when you get spring, you can obvi- you can tell the air gets crisper, the night is much more clearer, like the days are longer. Like I like this, I like the seasons, right? Because uh it just it just it makes you kind of prepare for, you know, you kind of like know where you're at. Out and where you guys are at, dude. I remember it's, it's foggy like, in August. It's foggy as hell, and it's like broad daylight, and it's just like, why the hell does it feel like there's like a haze over everything? Um, it, and after a while, you get used to it. If you're out there for like maybe like a week or two, you get completely used to it, right? So it's not like perpetual, but it's like every time I go out there, I feel like I'm in like a GTA video game. Like, I feel like it's like GTA. It's like hazy. Um, and out here, we do get a lot of humidity because, like, I'm, I live off of, you know, I live in Maryland. So I live right off of the Atlantic but and the Chesapeake. But at the same time, there is something about the when the seasons do change, you can kind of feel like things get fresh. Like, it's like a, a revitalization of things. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I feel like it's just hot all the time out there. Like it just, everything gets beat down by the sun. (laughs) Well, it depends. I mean, we have the microclimates here, like Niner Niner Banks is go to Tahoe and enjoy the snow. The Bay area does have seasons, Um, but -hmm. it's really more San Francisco. Like where I live in Walnut Creek, right? So we're 25 minutes East of the, of the water. Okay. It it, It gets hot out here. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, it's hotter than I grew up in the Sunset District of the city, right? You know, literally uh, 15 blocks from the edge of the continent, you know, right there off the Pacific Ocean. And it was mm-hmm. foggy and cold in the summertime. Mm-hmm. And the, and then it's hot as heck in the in the uh, like fall, like September, op- October. Um, and then the rest of the year is just kind of mild. November's pretty, you know, it's it gets 40 and it rains or whatever, but it doesn't. It's but the next day could be 70. I mean, you could have a and it's, you know, in Southern California, you get like 75 degrees on Christmas Day. And yeah, yeah. And it, it's it, you know, it's it's warmer. The baseline's warmer where my son goes to school down at Cal Poly. I think that in some ways is the best climate. It's like the it's a warmer baseline than San Francisco, um, but it's coastal. So it's still you right. get that maritime. You get that cool cool nights maybe some hot days but some very very cool nights um yeah. coach what do you what do you like, expect in oh go ahead no no i was just saying like i saw somebody put in here um about the beaches and stuff i did go to newport beach and newport beach was awesome like that that was a nice experience so i love the beach culture out there like you guys that's something that we don't have like you guys could just pull up to ocean like that's not something that's like readily available out here unless you go to like Ocean City or you go to you can go to like what's the best what's the best coastal spot within like 150 200 miles of you like i know there's you know there's uh you know maryland has its coast virginia mm-hmm. has its coast mm-hmm. the carolinas have their coast i got a mm-hmm. buddy 
uh, who lives kind of on the outer banks in North Carolina. He's yeah, always saying, oh, I was, okay, yeah, check that out. Then, of course, we know about South Carolina and all the golfing, and the, that's a little warmer, right? Well, if, okay. you, if I said, coach, pick a cool, you know, resort weekend beach location uh in the summertime where where do you want to go what's like what's the Does, is money an object uh, not really no just i mean you can go anywhere you want hamptons so you're going north yeah if if money is not an object you go and to the why hamptons. what makes the hamptons so damn good um well number one it's the that's where the pretty the, people hang right the area yeah people um, wearing white linen clothes yeah and, it's it's a it's a really cool experience if you have the bread um if you really just, but if you want to have like real fun, you got to go to like Myrtle Beach, Virginia Beach, Outer Banks. Um, for sure, uh, I, I I like Virginia Beach more than not more than Myrtle Beach. But Myrtle Beach is on the low. If you go to Myrtle Beach on like an off season type deal, like for spring instead of summer, you can have some real good fun at Myrtle Beach. And Outer Banks is kind of like a way of passage out here on the East Coast, like everybody's been to the Outer Banks, right? And then if you want to go like local beach out here, you will go to like Eastern Shore for in Maryland, right? So that would be like up Annapolis, towards like Annapolis? Annapolis. Yeah, like past Annapolis, Eastern Shore. But then there's also Annapolis, but that's not beachy. That's more like fish country, like fishermen country. Like they're like sailors out there. Yeah. So, um, but also... If you really want to do kind of like that, if you really want to be on like your your boat shit, Potomac, Maryland. You know what okay. I'm saying? So Potomac, Maryland is really nice. Um, and that's where you can pretty much have like your lay of the land as far as like being on the sea. Um, so Annapolis, Potomac for getting on a boat. If you want to actually do some deep sea fish diving and like really have a blast, I would say go to Myrtle Beach. I would say go to Virginia Beach. Virginia Beach is always cool. Um, if you want to have something with like your girlfriend and it's like, let's say you want to get married or you want to have something like really upscale, I would go to the Hamptons. Um, and if you want like good family fun where it's like a staycation and you just want to just go with a couple of your friends or maybe take your kids, I would say Outer Banks or Eastern Shore. They're, they're Sean Wilford. Is this the Fortnite podcast or the Weather Channel? <laughs> Mike J. Look at this one. Weather talk is like old people playing bingo at a bingo hall. <laughs> B49. Blackout. 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 I'll give that person the prize. Hey, Cod is nice too. Frankie hey, Cod. Yeah. Yeah. No, my sisters told me about that. I got to get out there. We've been having huge swells of water, by the way. The wa if you've been living on if you live on the coast, anywhere on the on the west coast right now, huge waves, lots of flooding on the coast, huge uh, high tides the last couple of days. Capitola, mm -hmm. Santa Cruz, Pacifica, all the places in Northern California just getting beaten down. L.A., San Diego, you've seen some of the pictures of the flooding. All right, let's talk a little 49ers. Should we talk a little Niners? What do you what do you expect in this game? I I started off the stream just talking about how this this game is is a weird game like if you're if you're a gambler i would say stay away from this game i think the niners are four point favorites but i think it's a stay away weekend in the nfl for the most part um it's just hard to predict who's going to show up who's not going to show up i've looked at some of the betting trends 
sometimes the teams that need to win in week 18 uh, fall prey to the teams that have nothing to play for at all. So it's a very difficult weekend to kind of predict. Like the Ravens are playing the Steelers to, uh, today, and the Steelers are favored over the Ravens at 130 Pacific um, by three points. And yet the Ravens haven't lost in a long time. The Ravens are 13 and three. The Ravens are at home. They're six and two. The Steelers are, are not, you know, not nearly as good, but they need to win, I think, or they would like to win for, for playoff seating and how it all shakes out Steel And, and yet Tyler Huntley's a pretty good quarterback and the Steelers are favored by three. I don't know about that. I mean, what are the Ravens going to lay down? I know there's no Lamar, but I mean, you see what I'm saying? It's like this, this yeah. is a very, very difficult it, week to hit, predict. Because there's nothing to play for, essentially. Um right. uh I, I just this is all this is kind of on the league, in my opinion, right? From we're fans, you know, we covered the game, but we are fans, and you know, it's our job to be able to be truthful about where the competitive context relies inside of each week right and it's hard to do that when you feel as though that this game the games really don't matter i i I don't want to get on this whole tangent about the 17 games because that's not the point but for right now just the way the cookie crumbles and how things have fallen out there is no there's really nothing to really bear out as far as where teams are in the playoff standings and it there is some there is something to be said about uh you know, resting your guys versus playing your guys. But I feel like that's the real narrative, not is this game competitive, right? Because whoever wins or loses this game, nothing changes for anybody. So our, I feel like the real conversation is how are we going to, how are we going to play our last real action before essentially having a three-week bye, right? So they're not really going to play this week, right? And they're going to have a full bye, before they get before the playoffs start. So really, this is our last time seeing these boys for a while, if you think about it. Right. So w- this is this is going to be for me. I'm going to be gauging this game and trying to read the tea leaves for uh, what the what the layout is on this time off that they're going to have. That's the big um, that's the big mo- motive for me. Right. Like who wins or loses this game doesn't necessarily strike me, but I'm going to be paying attention to who he does choose to start. Uh, who does Kyle choose to play early? Who does he pull? Uh, who does he pull early? Who does he decide needs to play a whole game? That's a starter. Who doesn't he? Why? I'm going to be ready to talk about those situations and maybe keeping track of what happens in this game and then kind of bearing out. Well, all right. We saw that Christian didn't play all of week 17. He's had essentially he's had essentially three weeks off, right? And he should be ready to go coming into our our opening game with whoever we see in the first round. I mean in the second round of the playoffs, right? So that's what I'm gonna be looking at. Not, I mean, you know, it'd be this, you know what I'm saying, Larry? Like it would be disingenuous to really try to competitively go at this game. Like Who's going right. to win? I mean, that's what I'm saying. Don't why. bet it. I mean, don't bet it. But it's, yeah, it would be crazy to bet this game. It's a weird. It's a weird thing. And I was mentioning before you jumped in was just that. Okay, so I'm looking at the Niner depth chart and and the the way it's penciled out. They say no, probably no Jawan Jennings, no Trent Williams, no Brock Purdy, 
No Christian McCaffrey. Ross mm-hmm. Dwelly still has that high ankle sprain. He's not going to go. That's on mm-hmm. offense. On defense, no Eric Armstead. No Jair Brown still has the knee sprain. No yep. Ambry Thomas. Yep. Um, everybody else on the defense, I think, is going to go. You saw it. You saw it. We'll get into the Jason Verrett injury, but he's out for the year now. I hurt his shoulder in practice. That's so yeah. unfortunate. Jalen Moore is kind of an interesting guy up front because I think he's um, – I saw him in the locker room, and he seemed to be in good spirits. And I think How's that, that concussion coming? Well, I, that's what I'm saying. He, I, there's been – in the last 24 hours, there's been indications that Trent Williams is not going to go, and Jalen Moore is the backup at left tackle. So, I, to me, that says that Jalen Moore is going to go. Um, so, I, I think Moore is going to go, and Williams is going to sit. So it's like, you know, now we have a somewhat of a handle on who's going to go. But then you also have, you know, the fact of the matter is uh, the Niners could easily play the Rams in the playoffs. So Kyle's not going to want to show anything. And then you've got only so many guys that you can put in the game. And so you might want to go to your backups at some point. But then you got to make sure that if your starters come out of the game and kind of co- cool off, that they don't have to get forced back in the game because of an injury. So, I mean, you got to play your starters a decent amount of time. I, it's, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a, it's a really weird game. I mean, if you had a great uh, plan of attack against the Rams, would you even use it? Knowing that if the Rams, you know, pulling up, yeah, we're literally about to see him again. Yeah. It'll be the Rams and Niners at, at Levi's in the divisional round and what three weeks. So I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure. Uh, how this is a very odd game to kind of handicap. Um, and it's a hard game to really just break down and say, Hmm, it's going to be this, or it's going to be that. And every coach may handle things a little differently. Um, and so, you know, you, you don't know exactly how Shanahan's going to handle things. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure what to expect in this game. The Rams, um, by the way, are, if you just looked at them when they're put playing all their top players, They've scored 24 points or more now in six straight games. There's only three teams in the league all season that have done that. The Niners, the Ravens and the Rams. So, you know, you know that the Rams in the playoffs could be quite a bit different with Stafford than the Rams, that team that we see tomorrow. Um, So it's like, I'm I'm not even sure what to expect. It's like, um, I'm not even sure what to root for other than health. You know, I don't want to see anybody get hurt, um, but. I really don't care. I've seen the Niners get destroyed in week 18 and it means nothing. I've seen them absolutely annihilate teams in week 18 and that means nothing. So I don't know. I mean, Shanahan and the coaches Wilkes and others have said, Hey, you know, we want to go into the playoffs with some momentum, but come on, man. If, if you don't play your starting quarterback or your MVP candidate running back or, you know, your best defensive lineman or one of your top corners and your left tackle. Are you really putting your best foot forward? I mean, um, but I, you know, maybe it would give the team confidence if they won big anyway, despite the fact they're playing all their backups or playing their backups a, a large percentage of the time. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly uh, how to gauge this one tomorrow. All right. Well, I'll, I'll say, I'll say this. This would be a good game to see where our depth is, right? I'd like to see us win a game with depth. That would be good. That would be cool to see. It'd be good to see Jordan Mason get a full game, right? What if he gets a full game, coach, and he dominates? Doesn't that? Oh, if you're Kyle, doesn't that? Doesn't that immediately? Oh, beg the question of where the hell has this guy been all year? 
No, because no. football is not a one-game sport. That's the thing that sucks about football is that it, it sucks and it's cool, but it's like you could do it once, right? But immediately everybody's going to go to the consistency. And there's too many things around this game that would just validate a Jordan Mason like 200-yard day, right? If he had like, all right, let's say, all right, what would be crazy for you? Like with dominates for me, dominating would be twenty plus carries. Let's let's put him at like 23, 23 24 carries. Anything over a buck fifty, man. If you one eighty, yeah, the guy rumbles for two. You know, twenty three carries for one seventy and and two touchdowns. I think that's gonna make people in the post game go, hmm. Yeah, but it's only seen one Jordan game. Mason. We should have seen Jordan Mason. It's hard to say that where we where we still, but what what did we lose? Well, what did we lose what, by not what, playing them? You see what I'm saying? Like we got the number one seed. Everybody's relatively healthy. What did we lose by the usage of Jordan Mason? What are and they Kyle they, still got him up his sleeve for when he does use him? He could that that could be a, a, a gigantic fuck you to us. Right, it's like, yeah, well, I used him. I finally used him, and he was great. Now shut up. You know how Kyle is. He's definitely going to use that angle. Yeah, but I mean, your your CMC is right now dinged up, so it's like, you know, he, I think it. I think if Jordan Mason goes off, um, it begs the question of, man, you could have had a healthier CMC come playoff time if you had just utilized this cat instead. You didn't, and now we're hoping that CMC can rest up in a week and be fresh enough to be uh, himself come playoff time. I'm just saying they took a risk. They took a risk by playing McCaffrey as much as they did as much as they did this year, and it's probably going to work out. But um, I do think it's going to be interesting to see uh, JP Mason because Mason to me looks talented, fresh, energetic. And ready to rumble, and I right. I think the only thing that's been keeping uh, JP Mason down is Kyle Shanahan. I don't I if JP Mason actually played, I think he would have been really good. And if he plays in this game, I think he's going to show everybody what what he really is, and people are going to be like, "What the heck? Where was this guy all year?" I mean, think about it, if you had another. Let's just say to me, if you say why, what Krug, what does he look like to you? He looks like. Marshawn Lynch. He looks like a powerful 240 pound rumbler, kind of bow legged, but fast, tough, good body lean, tons of energy, lots of second effort, all kinds of power. Run through, so we're going to run through arm tackles. He's going to have all kinds of yards after contact. I'm not saying he's beast mode, but he he's in that. Like if if you've never seen him before, and I'm trying to describe him, I'd say. Yeah, man, it's kind of like a little. He's kind of like a Marshawn Lynch, two, yeah. Maybe even a little bigger, right? It, did what was Marshawn? Two twenty, two twenty five. You know, he reminds me of who? Marion Barber. Yeah, that's a good call. I've used that comparison in the past. Yeah, you're right. I think Marshawn runs upright, runs hard. Yeah, Marshawn. I feel like everybody that runs hard kind of gets like the beast mode moniker. But one thing about Marshawn that I feel like it was very. He was very special that I don't think Jordan Mason has is Marshawn had a remarkable center of gravity. 
Like it was so he had such a wide base, and it was yeah. so hard to great feet. Not, yeah, remarkable feet. He was a jump cut slasher with crazy vision. He could deliver a blow off either shoulder, off either foot. There was never a time where you could catch him off, where you can catch him off kilter, and he wasn't ready to be rooted in, rooted into the ground and uh, deliver a blow. I mean, he was a menace. Marshawn Lynch was a special runner, but Marion Barber was a special runner too. But I feel like Marion Barber was more uh, his his acceleration to the point of attack was what really kind of built his physicality. Marion Barber wasn't that big of a back, but he was remarkably physical. He was always trying to go downhill. He always he broke tackles, but he wasn't he wasn't a tackle breaker. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he people had to get hands on him and then he would break those tackles. But he wasn't necessarily running through people like Marshawn was. And that's what I kind of see out of Jordan. Not Marshawn was special, but Jordan is more of if I see you, I'm going to run through you, right? And I need a good head of steam. I need those three steps to get to the line of scrimmage so I can hit a crease and bust it wide open. Marshawn was more along the lines of, I'm going to pick and pop and slash. And if you get in my way, you're going to feel something, but I'm trying to score. Marshawn, the thing about Marshawn is that he was very physical, but in his prime, he was a home run hitter. He had a home run threat. I don't, I don't see that out of Jordan, but I do see that physicality out of Marion Barber with Jordan Mason. I see that. And Marion and, and Marion Barber was a dog up front. I mean, I, I do you remember that play? What, what was it? Monday night? It was a Monday night game, I believe. Marion Barber ran like 22 yards to get a three-yard gain. He like backed up, got pushed back into the end zone. Broke like four or five tackles. I want to say it was versus the Eagles. If I, I'm just, this is off the top of my head right now. Pause. But what I'm saying is, is that I feel like that Marion Barber is more um, akin to Jordan Mason. Still great runners. Still great runners. You know, it's interesting. You, you said that um, Mason is in, not necessarily going to run away from you. Or, you know, he, he had a 26-yard run against, was it Dallas? It was mm -hmm, in Dallas mm -hmm. that he ran 26 yards for the touchdown. He also in his career has a 55 yard run. So mm. he, 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 you know, I, I'm, 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 maybe we got to see that. I'm wondering, I'm wondering what, how good Jordan Mason really is. I'm wondering. And I, I think I, I can't, to me, the one thing I want to see, give him five carries, give him five carries in a row, you know, give him, give him a few, you know, get, let him get a rhythm. Um, and I, I'll tell you this, what I loved last week, the most about the commanders game was Elijah Mitchell. I love the mm. way he ran, man. He dude, has, he was terrific last week. If anybody was at the game, I was cheering like a goddamn senior cheerleader for Elijah Mitchell at that game. I was so happy for him, bro. I was, and he was feeling it, Larry. He stood on his feet the entire game. He did not sit down. He was by the offensive line. I'm talking about he was with his dogs. You could tell that he was in the zone, dog. Like, Elijah Mitchell looked really good against the commanders. It was good to just see him have a day. Seeing him in person, he's impressive. He's impressive. He's stocky. He's got a good base. He's got some good old oak arms. I like him. I like him. I really hope that he stays healthy, man. Being able to see him run. Um, and get downhill. He runs behind his pads, plays much bigger than his frame, 
But for today's NFL, he's more let's let's start looking at it this way. You know one thing that I've noticed from seeing the boys with my own eyes? Yeah, because you were is, there last week. Yeah. One thing that I've noticed is that sometimes we scout these guys from an archetype of athlete that just doesn't exist in the league anymore, right? So we say an Elijah Mitchell is a small back, really? But the truth of the matter is, is that we say that Elijah Mitchell is a small back juxtaposed off of what the SOP for running backs has always been, right? Compared to what we compared to the full spectrum of backs, he is a smaller back, right? He's, he's you, 200 pounds. Right. But in today's league, that's an all-purpose back. I mean, Emmett Smith, wasn't back. Emmett Smith about two, two, 205, 210, something like that? Yeah, like it, exactly. In today's league, you can't really look at it. You can't really look at um, smaller guys as, you know, not necessarily um, um, bigger backs because you got guys like Jameer Gibbs being backs right now, right? And Jameer Gibbs is a small guy. You know what I mean? So for me, uh, being able to just look at Elijah, put my eyes on him, like literally 10 feet away from him, looking at him, he's impressive. I like his body. And he could be physical. Uh, I was really happy to see him. You could tell, man, he was uh, – he had way more – like, honestly, if that game could have went five, ten quarters, Elijah Mitchell could have still got more carries. He He was very juiced up. In that game, I was happy for him, man. Oh, and he 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 had rhythm, and he was making guys miss, and second effort, and he just I I'm an Elijah Mitchell fan, and it's funny. I was talking to a beat writer of the Niners the day before the McCaffrey trade, and I said, "Man, uh, there's a lot of talk they're going to trade for McCaffrey." And he's like, "Oh no, I don't think they're going to trade for McCaffrey." I'm like, "Really? Why not?" It's like, "Oh, they mm -hmm. don't need him. They don't need him. They got Elijah Mitchell and Jeff Wilson." So it. And and we laugh now at that because obviously McCaffrey is great and Wilson's moved on and and Mitchell's uh, more of a backup, but that's where Mitchell was thought. You know, Mitchell. You know, we changed our thoughts after we saw what McCaffrey has been in this offense. Always drip eight oh five says I want to see Ronnie Bell. I want to see Tay Martin, Danny Gray, Braden Willis, Jordan Mason, D Winters, Jalen Graham play this weekend. I agree with always drip. You know what? I don't even I don't like always drip because he be he be grinding my he be grinding my beef all the time. <laughs> but I agree with this comment, man. I agree <laughs> with this. I, I agree with this drip. Like these are exactly the guys who we need to see. It's time for us to see. It's time for us to kind of stretch our legs. Like if you don't want to exhaust the playbook, right? Let's let's because I've seen you alluding to this, Larry, and I really do agree with that. There, Kyle has come, Kyle's come up with a little bit of a conundrum because he needs to play a game, but he virtually could see these guys in a couple of weeks. So he can't put everything out there. So right. if you are going to play a game that's basic, right, in nature, why not play the boys who need to be able to show what they can do with the basics? And that is your depth, right? So if you're going to have a vanilla game plan out there, then why not put Braden Willis out there? Why not put Danny Gray table? You know, why not throw the guys out there and say, all right, you got a chance now, right? This is, these are the things that you guys have been doing all year in practice. You guys have been repping this stuff out all throughout camp and you never really get a chance to get these types of reps, right? These are routes that are used. These are concepts that are usually for Debo, Tay Martin, 
These are concepts that are usually for Brandon Ayuk, Ronnie Bell. These are concepts that are usually for uh, George Kittle that you don't see, uh, Braden Willis. And now you guys get a chance to kind of, you know, wear your dad's clothes for a day, you know? And I, I feel like that's the approach that I would go if I was in Kyle's position. Um, I was talking to Tay Martin earlier this week, and I'm like, man, you got a 100-yard day in, in you. You really do. And I don't know if they'll even promote him from the practice squad, but mm -hmm. that kid's got talent. He's got ball skills. If he, you know, he's doesn't have big speed. He's not huge separation guy, but you get in the red zone and you need a sure-handed catch from a receiver who knows how to run a route and take a hit and, you know, make the catch and hold on. Tay Martin can do that. He was great at Washington state. He was great at Oklahoma state. Uh, he looked good in camp. He's had strong preseason moments. But on this team, you got Debo, you got JJ, you got Ayuk. You know, what I mean, there's no, there's no room at the end. Um, so you know, it's hopefully Tay Martin gets out there because I, I really believe he could do something. And there's other guys too, Robert Beal. I think Robert Beal yeah. could do something. I think I think D Winters and Jalen Graham. The I really in this game, coach, more than anything, I want to see D Winters and Jalen Graham. Why? Because Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw means so much to your to your playoff run. They've had so many collisions, violent collisions, and D Winters and Jalen Graham can play. And you also have Warren Burks, and you got Demetrius Flanagan fouls. And heck, if you want to take Robinson off the uh, Curtis Robinson off the practice squad, you could promote him. Uh, we're going to hear two guys today promoted off the practice squad. I asked Matt Barrows on Thursday who he thinks it's going to be. He said he thought it was going to be. Um, uh, who'd he say? He said, uh, Taylor Hawkins and Jeremy McNichols, the running mm -hmm. back McNichols and Taylor Hawkins. And I, that makes sense to me, but, um, you already got JP Mason sitting right there. I'd rather see him. Hawkins makes a lot of sense though, because you, you know, you got some injuries in the secondary. All right, let's get to a real topic here. One okay. that, that I think is kind of interesting. Does the 49er offense have tells? You know, this is another year, another story about, so man, this you is the saw, Patrick you Queen. The Patrick Queen that. interview. You saw that. Yeah, Pat Patrick Queen, for people who didn't see it, what I'm referencing here is Ravens linebacker Patrick Queen, who's a great young player, former LSU star, went on the Rich Eisen show, and he <laughs> was discussing facing both the Niners and the Dolphins. And here's his quote. It's tells in what Miami does and what San Francisco does. He said San Fran that mm -hmm. San Fran does that. I can't say right now, just in case we have to see those guys again, you just have to affect the quarterback. You got to get your D lineman into those lanes, into those just, lanes, just play coverage. Don't let anybody get behind you. So, you know, um, he obviously he's not going to expand on that. Um, he, you know, and, and he didn't, uh, you know, he, he, he's, he's yeah, he not, said gonna, he, not yet. He he's said not going to maybe yeah, later. Just, yeah. yeah. He's not going to talk about it. He also said Purdy could quote, make every throw and make all the reads and that the Ravens were concerned about jamming all those up. In fact, queen was very complimentary of Brock Purdy throughout the interview. He was, he said he deserves to be in the MVP conversation. Right. Right. But he said the T word tell tells. Yep. And, you know, if, if this is not the first time, 
um, that we've heard about this. Um, we, you know, Jesse, who, you know, Jesse and you and I have been doing the big show um, for the last month or so. Jesse put out one of the hottest moments of his channel was when he put out uh, the different stances from Trent Williams and the tells that went into those. Mm -hmm. um, and some people debunked that, you know, later on. Uh, Williams, Trent himself said, oh, it's nonsense. But you could see you could see what Jesse was pointing to when he made his argument. Then you can go even further back. And, you know, um, Richard Sherman brought up that Jimmy Garoppolo had a tell. And he basically said that when Garoppolo patted the football, that he was going to throw it. And, and you know, um, yet Garoppolo kept patting the football and the Niners, you know, and he said this in like 2018. The next year, Garoppolo and the Niners were in the Super Bowl. So I guess I'll, th I'll throw it to you this way. Do you believe that Patrick Queen is, um, I mean, I'll, all I'll say is this. If they had the tell on the 49ers, then why did the Niners pile up 421 yards of offense in that game? If they had, if they really had the tells where they could turn off the Niner water, then how come the Niners had such big numbers rushing and passing in that game? That, you know, um, I don't know that I would say the interceptions were all fluky, but a couple of them were. Mm -hmm. um, how concerned are you that the 49ers have easily to identify tells in their offense in any phase running passing in any way i think it's up front <clears throat> um you got to run football from the inside out um there are a couple of things that i feel like uh um are just ingrained in the game of football that you cannot deny and you know just like i know larry i you know you're you've been in the game longer than i have if you can't block it, you can't run it. That's that's the way football works, especially offensively. Um, and there are things, there are uh pressure packages that the Ravens were using against our offensive line that were kind of putting us in conundrums. Now, the picks notwithstanding, um, I get it. A lot of those were tipped, Brock pressing. Kyle not adjusting. So I'm not going to go into like the whole tinfoil hat rabbit hole of, oh, there's a there's a definite key that unravels this whole thing because that's that's the elephant in the room, right? That's the dog whistle when you say somebody has a tell. The tell is, oh, well, that means that they know the entire offense now. No, a tell is something that could just tip to a pass or a run. A tell can tip to whether they're going to go what 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 side of the field that the that the ball is going to a tell doesn't necessarily mean that they know the offense so let's right. like kind of like give you i'll give you an example of a tell let me give you one example of a tell when i was coaching and scouting in the canadian league we played the las vegas posse great <laughs> okay well this is this is the american expansion of the cfl in the mid 90s we're playing the Las Vegas Posse. They had former Florida State wide receiver Tamarick Vanover. Do you okay. remember Tamarick Vanover? No. Wide receiver, really athletics, really, really fast. But he was really young, kind of an um, immature guy. 
I watched, you know, they told me, Krug, here's the, here's the posse's last three games. Go spend the rest of the day, sit in that room, roll that thing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and come away with something that will help us win the effing game. I mean, it was, it was like the, I was just like the bottom of the totem pole guy. Right. So they just mm-hmm. threw my day away and said, go watch Vegas posse film and find a tell, find something, give us something that can mm-hmm. help us win. So I watched mm-hmm. and I watched and I watched and I watched and I watched, I mean, literally coach 10 hours of watching. And I finally, I found something on plays that were going to be pass plays. He had these big, big loopy um, uh, Velcro uh, connectors to his gloves, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, he and, would redo them. And, and, you know, so you could pull it almost like batting gloves, mm-hmm. but just, you know, his, 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 his receiver gloves had a big, a big loopy, um, you know, connector Velcro thing. When he... When they were running the ball, he left it flopping in the wind. He, he, you could see. He didn't it. care. He would come out of the huddle, walk over to his position, and it was loose. When it was a pass play away from him, he would do the same thing. When it was a pass play and he was a primary he tightened that thing up and was like, you could see him working it come out, coming out of the huddle and he cinched it, cinched it tighter. And, and he's like, you could see him. He was like going like this with his hands. He was really trying to get ready to get a ball. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and so I said, coach, I think I got one for you. I think I got one. Like, yeah. I think he almost thought I was full of it. Like they were throwing away my day. Cause I was such a young scout. Um, and they're like, I'm, he's like, he, they're, so they are coaches. Come on in the room. Krug's got something. Yeah. Okay. So now I'm under pressure and I go, well, I don't know if this is That's anything. That's the way but, it works though. They yeah. gang up on you. They, they almost treat us like kickers on the <laughs> low. <laughs> on the low level. It's like, you know, let us do the real stuff. You just mess around. Make the I'm kick. like, so I, I cut, I cut seven or eight snaps. I'm like, here you go. Here's, here's four snaps of run plays. Here's four snaps of pass plays. And I showed them out of the huddle and I zoomed in and I'm like, look at him tightening up his gloves. Look at him grabbing his hands. Look at him. He's like preparing to catch the ball on pass plays on run plays. The gloves are loose. They're flopping in the wind. We Mm -hmm. used it. It came true every time this guy would come out of the huddle. He's got these gloves that are flapping. Our guys are just glancing over to him, mm-hmm. and we're reading run, key and run, key and run. Uh-huh. He's tightened those things up. We're key and pass. Um, so so what was what was the response? Did the response they buy it? Was oh no, they loved it. They were like you know, you know, they were they were they gave me a game ball. I got a game ball out of it. Um, we we destroyed them. Uh-huh. Uh, we, we, you know, it's a CFL every, you know, there's, it's a passing league. So it's a lot of passing, but, mm-hmm. but the guy, he was such a young receiver. He'd only played a year or two at Florida state. He was a very raw receiver and he didn't realize that he was given away run pass. That was a tell that I identified, told the guys about, we used it. And, and, you know, uh, we also had other tells like for teams, 
where, you know, we're literally, it wasn't even a player tell, it was a coaching tell. And it was the coach. We, we had guys on the binoculars as they would single, single and signal in plays. Uh, they would try to kind of fool us. And we had tells from the booth, like we're right. watching their booth and we could, yeah. we, you know, we had, they had things that they were giving away I'll from the booth. Tell. I'll give you so a sneaky tell. There are I, such things as tells. Yeah. Okay. If, I, I, so you don't cover yeah. your foot, cover and, your footprints and you're not really thinking about it. Yeah. And it's not, and I feel like it's not as it's, it's really kind of like a uh, guerrilla warfare on the low. So like when I was at Bowie state, a tell that I used to know is what I would do is in pregame, I would walk around uh, coaches and you know, in pregame, you're talking to opposing coaches, especially when the specials are out. And what I would do is I would kind of like glance at play sheets. So you don't have to read the play sheet, but usually play sheets are color coded, right? And they're color coded by pass run. So if you know exactly what somebody's looking at on what side of the play sheet, then all you got to do is have the monocular up during a couple of plays and get the first 10 plays out. And you're like, all right, when coach is holding the bottom of that play sheet, they're going run. All right. That's the green side of that play sheet. That's what they're going. When he goes to the top of that play sheet, look at where his eyes are going. He's going to the top of that play sheet. And usually if it's run, what he does is he takes it and he folds it under his right arm and he waits because he wants to see run fit. If it's a pass play, he's just kind of listening and you could tell he's not really in on the play right now. He's just watching. So there are tells where if you watch enough, you can really understand what's going on. And covering your mouth really doesn't do anything, really. <laughs> like you can almost kind of look at what Kyle's calling, like based on how he's holding the play sheet, right? Like if he's looking at something that's de- that he's coming back to, it's almost like he goes to an annex part of the play sheet and he holds like the bottom third of the play sheet up because he's looking at that part. Versus holding like the entire play sheet, looking at it from top to bottom. So you can, you can, yeah, there's tells all over the place. If you pay attention, the most common tell I think that you're going to find and the players spot this on the field themselves, but sometimes the coaches are really good at it and they'll remind guys is teams that pull their guards. If you've got a veteran guard and he's pulling, he'll be back. He'll deep set. Mm-hmm. He'll deep set. You look at the line of scrimmage from a bird's eye view and you're like, you can Old see the right guard is like eight, nine, 10 inches further back because he's looking to get out of that hole. And he's basically just cheating up because he knows he's got to get around quickly and he's gassed and he's tired. So he's looking for a little advantage. So the he same thing a- on D line. They stunt when they're stunting, when they're when they're not aligned on the line of scrimmage, and you know that the post or the puller, whoever's looping, they're back further versus the guy who's gonna post because he wants to be able to get as much depth as possible. So the looper doesn't have to get washed out as much. They can flatten that loop to get as much um to get as much uh real estate to the line of scrimmage. So yeah, you can look on the li- line of scrimmage. Uh, you could read shoulders. Guys that don't stay parallel with the line of scrimmage will tell you where the ball is going. Um, offensive linemen who love to get in two point on pass or screens or short yards, but they love to get in three point downs when they know they're going to have to use their body moving forward. Um, there's tells all over the game. If you watch enough. Yeah, no, seriously. And, and there are people that are really good at it. There's also teams that really hide and hide their play calling. Like, you know, they know somebody's watching them from with binoculars in the booth. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they'll have two guys making sig- signals. And if you can discern really early on in the game 
which guy is actually making the signals and which guy's the fake, you know, um, teams feel like, well, we'll have two guys doing signals. We don't have to hide it that much. Well, wait a second. Do you know, if we can figure it out quick, then we don't, we're not worried about coach B doing signal signals and we can check out coach a signaling in plays. And maybe you're, they're not even trying to hide it all that much because they figure out, oh, well, we're, we'll do enough by having two coaches, you know, signaling in plays at the same time. Well, okay. But, uh, <laughs> if we can figure out which is the fake, then you, you know, you bet we're going to be able to read your plays. So, I mean, the, you know, the, there's the old saying, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. I mean, I know baseball players who could steal signs incredibly well. And, mm-hmm. and, I mean, they were, they were guys who were on the bench that just were awesome at mm-hmm. stealing signs. Uh, the Kevin Franzden, who used to work on KMBR radio, was one of the best um, at, at stealing signs and and figuring out in baseball what what was coming. So, but all I would say is this is the second time, Coach, in that the Ravens have referenced that they had tells. Um, you heard Kyle Van Noy on that podcast say, "We hey everybody, we showed everybody the blueprint of how to defend the Niner offense." And, well, and then, and then his, you know, my guess was simply that they blitzed off the edges. Mm-hmm. Um, they dropped guy linebackers into coverage. They dropped their safeties deep. They pretended like they were reading the receivers, but instead they were really reading the quarterback. They really clouded the, the windows that they thought Brock wanted to throw into. Mm-hmm. And they, they made it so those windows were tighter because there were more people in them. Um, I don't know if that's a tell if, or if that's just that's just reading your tendencies, knowing what a team likes to do from film study. But we're at the point in the year now, Coach, where if you really are good at film study, it's all there. It really they, is. It's, it's hiding in plain 18. sight. It's not, it's not week one or week two. Week one or week two, who knows? But now you've had months of film and if you really do your homework you should have some tendencies not just for the Niners for every team in the league every team Mm -hmm. in the league has tendencies coaching tendencies player tendencies and if you're good enough with your film study and you got enough manpower on it and they're smart enough sharp enough you can figure out what your opponent wants to do and and what their mindset is well I agree with you. And, you know, this guy didn't necessarily work out. This didn't work out well for this guy that I'm about to bring up. But this isn't the first time we've heard about players who have done a little bit of self-study and deep dive on the 49ers offense, talking about how they how they have tells. Patrick Peterson talked about this earlier in the year, if you remember, saying that um, I know that he said he was going to have picks on Brock Purdy and do a great job. And he did have his opportunities a couple of times, but. Um, I'm I, I'm kind of going back to an interview or a podcast that he did with Brian Brian McFadden, former uh, Pittsburgh Steelers cornerback, and I just wanted to kind of highlight some of the quotes that he had on what he sees from the 49ers on tape. So I'm gonna go ahead and get into that for a second. All right? Sure. Yeah. So it was uh, on the latest episode of All Things Covered podcast with co-host and cousin Brian McFadden. Peterson harped on that T word tackling time and time again. If we do a good job of tackling the guys at the point of attack, we're going to be in a good position to be able to, 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 to sustain those guys from making big plays, Peterson told McFadden. 
Because if you go back and watch the Philadelphia Eagles game, those guys was hugging up on those checkdowns. When you give a dynamic running back three or four yards of space, he's going to make one guy miss. If we do a good job of hugging up on those checkdowns, those outlets that those guys that just hang out on the sideline, those late leak out guys, I think will be in pretty good shape. He also goes on to say, Peterson noted the 49ers had the 49ers have had the league's best yak attack this uh, last year. They tied the Kansas City Chiefs and the Carolina Panthers for the best yak perception reception per last year at 6.6 yards. Uh, Peterson also goes on to say they have the number one running back, the number one tight end, the number one receiver with yards after the catch. When you think about it, the plays that Christian McCaffrey is doing, he ain't there running no post, Peterson said. He, he ain't running no dig. He's swinging out in the backfield. Debo Samuels, he's not running no deep balls. He's not running the full route tree. He's running drag routes, taking four yards routes and taking it 80. Kittle as well. Uh, so those are some of the those are some of the top of some of the comments that he had before we played um the Pittsburgh Steelers. And that's kind of some of the things that are highlighted on what players see when they see our offense, where they're starting to see, like, man, you guys are necessarily trying to take a little and make it a lot, trying to be physical, trying to push past us. You guys want to be able to leak out and get everybody, get everybody behind you so we can come out from underneath. And if you think about it, essentially from the raw application of what our offense is from a passing standpoint, that really is us. We run clear out routes. And then what do we run? We run deep overs, digs, comebacks. We run underneath. We take guys deep and we run underneath, or we, split the field in half and overload. We see, we lock one guy to the side singled, we overload on the other side, and then what happens? We come off with a pass concept that either gets something coming out on the backside, on the same side as the lock side, or we have something that comes under it in a three-tiered concept where Brock can choose one, two, three, or he can get a hot to get the ball out to Christian McCaffrey or get a quick screen route. And they'll do it from a condensed standpoint. So you can't see where the guys are coming from a spread out from a spread out perspective. Like our offense is pretty redundant when you look at just the posture of what we do. It's how we get to it is what the tells would be in. Right. So when we look the same way, literally every play and we bring out the same maybe 10 formations in our offense. It's the packaging that are the tells for me. If I was going against our team and I was on defense or offense, I would be watching film on what are the packages and what are the situations? Because this is a planned team. You don't have this many plays built in for these. Like, basically, if you think about it, Larry, how many plays out of the plays that we run on offense are beaters or just straight up hat on a hat, our bread and butter? You, you see the difference that I'm talking about? Like. Yeah. Hat on a hat. This is what we do. This is our identity. This is what we run even when you know it's coming because this is what we've repped out versus this is a section of our offense that are just beaters, stick beaters, man beaters, zone beaters, coverage beaters, where if you look at our offense, we don't really have a lot of the latter, right? The former, I mean, where we have wide zone, outside zone. We're running it. I don't care if you see it coming. This is what we do. Outside of that, a lot of the stuff that we do is beaters. So if I was a coach planning to go against the Niners, my plan would be to interrupt that plan, right? 
I want to get you guys to have a contemporaneous conversation with us in the now. No more what you plan for us, but I want you guys to be able to call plays that have to call that shit from the sideline. So that's where I feel like teams really want to get that. That's where they want to attack our offense. They want to take us into deep water. They want to get us away because if we find a, if we find a tell, that's really our offense, right? Finding tells on the defense. So that's the problem. Who's going to figure out who first? And really, our problem with our offense is when a defense doesn't have a tell. When you play a defense where they're stout across the board, there's no corner, there's no safety that's inept, there's no linebacker that you can put in the conundrum, there's no, there's no pass rush that you can get away from, there's nothing interior-wise where you can run duo or double block somebody because they the D-line is really bad, but they only have one tip of the spear guy like the Rams, you know, you know, or other teams like the Steelers, where you're really going to see maybe two to three good D-linemen where you can engineer around these guys. That's not the Ravens, right? So that's the thing about our offense is what is our offense going to do against a defense that isn't going to give you anything? They're going you know, to smart it's, enough. It's really interesting, I think, when you look at this season. The Niners have four losses. Uh, by the way, Jet, last second sports, Jesse's in the chat. Good morning, mm-hmm. Jesse. He says, self-scout shows them. Hold uh, on, hold self, on. He said, self-scout, show them what they want to see and give them something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and there's a lot of that this time of year where, where, you know, not only will the Niners look at what the opposition does, They'll take the time and be like, all right, we're 17 weeks into this season, 16 games. When other people scout us, what are they seeing? And if you're a really good football team and the Niners are, you got personnel that are giving you the self-scouting. Um, so you have a real good idea of what teams are seeing from your statistics. You know, and I asked Shanahan about this a month ago. I said, are you aware at all times of your tendencies. Um, and he's like, yeah, I get all the numbers on that and what stands out. And he's looking for, he's looking for things that really stand out as obvious, mm-hmm. you know? So if they, Hey, we've run a hundred percent of the time out of this formation or we're, you know, and they'll try to go against their own tendencies to muddy the picture for teams scouting them. And that's something that they do consider. That's why people, when they question the play call, I'm always like, you know, there's a lot of factors. You know, there's a lot of factors. It could be that they're trying to run the right play. It could be that they're trying to change the, you know, the scouting report for next week. I would imagine there'll be five or six or seven or more plays in this game that will be solely meant to change the statistical breakdown for the teams that are scouting the Niners in the playoffs. And if they're really sharp, they'll separate this game and throw it out. The opposition will, and they won't really look at these tendencies or they'll read it as what it is. The Niners trying to throw us off their scent. Um, So there's all kinds of games that are being played, but the Niners essentially have lost four games all year. Okay. They lost to Cleveland in a, you know, mucky rainy day Mm -hmm. uh, where Cleveland really, uh, you know, Niners lost some key people, some wet weather, Uh, Cleveland's got a really good defense. So I kind of throw the Cleveland game out. Just, you know, the Niners lost that game. I'm not saying it didn't count. It counted. I'm just saying as far as did Cleveland provide a template for how to beat the 49ers or did they just win the game? I think they just won the game. So I'm, I'm throwing that one out. Mm -hmm. The Niners lost to the Vikings. I'm throwing that one out. That Mm -hmm. did the Vikings provide a template of how to beat the 49ers. 
or did they just win the game? I thought Kirk Cousins was just brilliant on third down in that game, and he the Niners couldn't get off the field defensively. So Kirk Cousins' best primetime game of his career, quite yeah, honestly, it's awesome. The guy that that night he was Joe Montana, Peyton Manning, uh, you know, he all over the place. He was like, awesome. Oh my, who are you? He had himself a day. <laughs> he did. I have mean, a day. seriously, you know, if you'd walked up to him after on the field, you would have given him a hug and be like, bro. You, what you, the fuck was that? You're the MF and you're the MF and man tonight. Dog. I mean, it, it was amazing. He was great. Yo, yeah. So that one, was. that one, I don't count. To me, mm-hmm. the Niners have two losses this year that should be studied. And that is the Cincinnati game and the mm-hmm. Raven game. And both games they lost decisively. They didn't lose okay. by one score. They lost by a lot. And 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 to me, if you say what did the did the did the Bengals have a tell on the Niners? I don't think so. No. Did the Ravens have a tell on the Niners? I don't think so. I think the Niner offense gets derailed when you have great personnel. The Ravens had or the uh, Bengals had, you know, four guys in their secondary that run sub 4-4. Four, four. Tons of speed. Niners could not run their outside zone, couldn't get to the edge. And then DJ Reader and Logan Wilson were outstanding in that game. They couldn't run it up the gut. If you can't run up the gut, you can't get to the edges. It puts tons of pressure on Purdy. Guess what happened in that game? There was tons of pressure on Brock Purdy. And then defensively, Niners looked tired. But I'm just talking our Niner offense against Bengals defense. There was no tell. The Bengals beat the Niners with personnel. Speed to the edge, tough run stuffers like Reeder and Wilson inside. Right. Ravens. Ravens beat the Niners. Did they do it with with scheme? I don't think so. The Ravens did it with personnel. Kyle Hamilton is effing great. He's a great player. Patrick Queen and Roquan Smith are great. I'm so happy Um, you're coming to my side of things. Marlon Humphrey. You know, the Niners, from what I was told from some of my insider Niner people, had a full game plan to go at Arthur Mollette in that game. And um, McDonald, the D coordinator, took Mollette off the field, field. went with Darby outside, put Marlon Humphrey inside, and Humphrey had a day inside. So, But that's what I'm saying, though. Do you you see what I'm saying, though? But I just think think they have a tail. I think it's personnel. That's all I would say. Okay, and and I don't want to step on your Coke right now because you're cooking right now. But... All I'm going to say is, is that we're saying the same things. Like, do you see how your inside source let you know that the game plan was to go after a person? Not the, the conflict. Making the con- That's what Kyle does. He makes oh. one guy the conflict oh, defender you and he goes out. That. You cannot do that because that's when coaches say, all right, well, I'm just taking him off the field. Now, what are you going to do? And what's crazy is, you know what's wild? We don't even know if Ronald Darby is better or worse than that other corner that didn't play. We don't even know. He's just a veteran. It was more that Humphrey is good inside and outside. And he was good inside. But this is what the game plans look like when they fall off. They look like we planned for A and they gave us B. That's what it looks like. And we don't know how to come off this. We And when we're left with the best of what we do from zero, not prepared, just what we can do, we're a little bit compromised. We're Because of what we have, the team is 
the team is engineered. I feel like we engineer our offense to attack the defense's weaknesses and to stay away from ours as well. And when you get a defense that knows how to have the conversation back and says, no, 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 no. You don't get to dictate to us. We got enough to dictate to you. We're going after that O-line. We're going after it, right? That's something that Patrick McQueen said that I feel like is going a little bit unmissed, going, going overshadowed. He said, if you stay in those lanes and you stay in front of that offensive line, right? If you get, the, and that's one of the things that the Ravens were doing, you have to not let our O-line off the hook. That's what I saw against the, the Browns. I saw that against the Ravens. They split us up one by one, and they all make us work up front. Everybody gets a D-lineman. Everybody gets a block. And if you don't, not only that, they use simulated pressure. So they made us think. They had we there were times where our slide side. Okay, so for those, all right, let's 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 have Niners a ran for six, seven a carry in that game. Yeah, and they stopped. Like, because they couldn't, they were down. Yeah. But for, 46 you, passes, 18 runs. In the pass, in the pass protection, all right. So let's talk about O-line for a little bit. In pass protection, there's a slide side and there's a lock side. Okay, from most pass protections. Okay, now the slide gets declared based off of the strength. That's where most of the times when you see the center pointing out the mic, he's pointing out the strength because that's the extra hangover guy to who they're either sliding to, all right, or who they're sliding away from. The lock side is usually the the juxtaposed tackle on the opposite side of of the protection. Now there are times where, if offensively from an offensive line perspective. Your quarterback can call out protections as well as the offensive line to be able to change protections in the middle of a play if they see that they're not getting the numbers that they like, okay? The Ravens, what they were doing is they were simulating pressures to be able to go against our, pre our, our, our protections up front. So when we were calling slides to the left, they were showing pressure on the right and then looping back to the left but we weren't, we didn't have the thing about offensive line. It's, it's a little bit like playing secondary, right? It's a little bit like playing corner. If you're playing corner, right? Is let's say that you're a boundary corner and you're seeing a three by one, right? And maybe you got your boundary at the corner, you got your nickel, all right? And then you have your safety playing number three over top. Sometimes what happens is, is that the responsibility changes post snap, okay? It can be one, two, three in front, but if two dips inside and three dips over to the other side, the responsibility changes for those defenders. It's the same way with blocking up front for the offensive line. Protections change and responsibilities change based on how the stunt is given to you. The offensive line has never had to face a lot of defensive teams that, quite frankly, have the talent to be able to make us think that way up front. A lot of that was happening against Baltimore, where there were times where our slide was to the wrong side of the protection. There were times where we were using three offensive linemen to block two guys. We were using four offensive linemen to block one guy at certain times. They really put a conundrum um, for us up front. And a lot of that made Brock uncomfortable. There was a lot of pressure. So those are some of the things that I saw Baltimore do where they really put pressure on our offensive line and made us think up front. So and, I don't and think proof of that proof of that is that the not the Ravens in that game got nine hits on the quarterback 
from seven different players. There you go, Clary. There you go. So Roquan hit him. Queen hit him. Matabuke mm-hmm. hit him. Mm-hmm. Van Noy hit him. Brent Urban had three hits on him. They were mostly late. Big Travis Jones got a QB hit. Clowney got a QB hit. They, you didn't. You didn't know where they were coming from. They send their linebackers on some delayed blitzes. They also absolutely ruined the Niners on a tendency that they noticed, which was the the condensed formations. Mm-hmm. You know, I, Brandon Stevens on the interception that Humphrey had. You know, blitzed off the edge in a against a condensed formation where mm-hmm. he could get home because he was lined up inside. And then he timed his jump perfectly, batted that ball into the air. Normally, that thing hits the ground. Instead, it went to Humphrey for a pick. Yeah, I mean, great play by Stevens. Great play by Stevens. I mean, those that's some of the things that uh, we're going to have to start understanding. Hat on a hat football. It's time to put the schemes away. It's playoff time. It's good on good right now. Right. The thing, the the team, it's no secret. I mean, I saw a quote in here uh, that when I was explaining the defense going against um, our offense, uh, good defense is going against our offense. I saw a snarky comment that said, oh, so basically a really good You need a really good defense to stop our offense in Brock. What the fuck do you think our offense is? We're a really good offense. It's going to take a really good defense to stop us. We're not some run-of-the-mill offensive team that just makes it happen because we got a good coach. Kyle is operating from a Michelin star kitchen, okay? This ain't no he's doing the best he can with nothing. He's got – he made his bed. He's put the best where he wants it. He didn't want to draft online. He didn't want to get it together. That's his problem. But Niners have 11 11 double-digit wins. Come on, man. And a lot of that is because – Five they've pro got bowlers on this offense. How they many got alternates? great offense, great play caller, but they got great weapons. Eleven double digit wins, and their offense is the best in the NFL. Yeah. So look, I'm gonna tell you, man. For for us to win, I really believe that we're gonna see a team that they're gonna split us up. They're gonna say, no, 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 no more gang fighting. One by one, y'all are gonna have to. Everybody's gonna have to win. They ring. That's what I feel like this year. That's the energy I feel. Where, what is, oh, go on. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, where everybody's going to have to win their ring individually. There's yeah. never going to be a time where deep. I mean, shoot, if you want to talk about it, let's talk about it, man. We only got a couple of games left. I'm tired of pussyfooting around. One of the tells is Debo. When he ain't getting the ball, his effort is noticeably different. Okay. He's got to, you got to get him touch the football. Yeah. If he's not touching the ball, you know that, number one, he ain't getting the ball, and number two, the ball ain't coming to his side of the field. And if it is, you can run through him. So that's something that's a tell right there. What I'm saying is is that what we need to do is realize that the best teams, the teams that are really going to beat us, are not going to be teams who are trying to all put it together to beat us as one whole unit. Nah, man. We're going to face teams that are going to have the players across the board to play us and i'd like to see us go out with the best of what we do right because that's why we got all these pro bowlers we're having a great conversation this morning the coach is in the house it's the krug show on a saturday co-streamed on both my channel and coach's channel coach give people an idea if they they're stumbling into your channel for the first time um how they can follow you and what kind of content you put on the channel 
Oh, man. So right now we do 49ers content channel. We are a 100% fan advocacy page. Um, I'm just, I am a fan. I got started my channel and my platform coming out of the chat. Um, I love being in the chat because that's where I started, uh, like, you know, my genesis of being able to reach out to the content creator side of being a 49ers fan. Um, since then, I started in the beginning of the season. It's been fun, man. I've done tons of collaborations, starting to do my own content. Um, and I've just been grateful for, number one, you and Grant and Jesse and um, all of the guys who have just, you know, wrapped their arms around me and helped me and pushed my platform and gave me advice and argued with me <laughs> and the whole nine. Um, but uh, all I'm saying is, is that, um, you know, we're at 3000 subs and we're still moving and. Um, and that's it right there, right? Bang, bang, bang dash, bang, bang underscore, 49. underscore 49. Yeah. So if you go and to also, YouTube, if you go to mm -hmm. YouTube and you type in bang, dash, bang, underscore 49, you'll find Coach's channel. Give him a like. Give him a subscribe. Uh, follow his channel. Check out his content. He does some outstanding stuff. Um, and we'll promote this a couple times before the end of the show. Um, go ahead, Coach. You wanted to say something else? Oh, no. Just one last thing. Like, my number one collaborator is the, my beautiful girlfriend. So she's been the reason why I've been able to do all of this. So. You know, just shouts out to me, you baby. Look at you. Look at you, man. I love my woman. Look man. at you. Look I love my you. woman, bro. I don't yeah. I don't hide it, man. When you love your woman, you love your woman, man. You're like Will Smith right now, taking care of business. You know, no, you're, hell you're, no, 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 not on that. No, not for that. For <laughs> <laughs> that. I'm not on that level. <laughs> coach is coach is hooking up his he's getting stuff done in the morning and he's hooking up his late afternoon. I mean, look at that. <laughs> The man's covering all bases. You got to multitask. You got to multitask. This is Shanahan in the first quarter thinking about the OT, you know? Hey, it is uh, what it is, man. <laughs> Let's hit some of these supers, and then I got a question for you. X okay. the Chef says, why is Brock Purdy sitting and no one else is? Uh, by the way, I said before that Trent is sitting. He's not sitting. He's playing. Um, Kyle Shanahan told reporters yesterday that, indeed, Trent Williams will play. How much okay. he plays, we don't know. But he is going to give I it a go. I think he's had a series or two. Yeah. So, but why is Brock Purdy sitting? Because Kyle Shanahan wants to sit him. I mean, Steve Young doesn't think it's a good idea. Um, Kyle does. Kyle's got the decision. It sounds like uh, I it was the first question I asked him this week when he spoke to us at the press conference. I said, "Is is Brock Purdy playing?" He said, "No, he's for sure the one guy that's not playing." So, you know, Kyle Kyle knows that you know he knows Purdy better than we do as far as. Brock Purdy's not the kind of guy who's going to go to the podium and be like, you know, my elbow's a little sore. My my um, my chest got hit last week, and I've got a contusion. Uh, I took a hit to my thigh, and I've got a real deep bone bruise. Whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not going to say any of those things, but every single guy is walking around with something. He took some big hits in the commander's game. He doesn't want to make something. Yeah, he, does, he just wants to make sure the kid's fresh, and he played well in Jacksonville off the bye. He played well in Pittsburgh after the bye, not playing in the final preseason, and he just is gambling. He, he doesn't. Kyle doesn't know the right answer. He's just gambling based on talking to Brock, talking to the coaches, and making his decision. Steve Young doesn't have all the answers. He's just telling you what his experience has been like uh, from playing in the NFL and what was good for him. There is no right answer, no wrong answer. We'll see. You know, we're going to see how it all works out, but Brock's not going to go. And I think it's just because Kyle made that call. Uh, Matthew says, 
You heard it here first. Darnold leads a fourth quarter, eight-plus point comeback to get the W, and Kyle gets off the schneid with that stat. None of us are happy. <laughs> so he's saying that basically the Niners will come from behind with, with Darnold on Sunday. Maybe. Maybe Ricky <laughs> I feel says, like Kyle does want an opportunity to show what he can do with Sam. I really, I think that this would sure. be this would be a good game for Kyle to be like, all right, let's let her rip. Let's go. You know, and 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 you know, I have it here in my notes for tomorrow's pregame, Shanahan's record. And uh under Shanahan, this this is these are the numbers. Under Shanahan, when the the Niners are 0 and 39 when trailing by eight points or more in the fourth quarter. Under Shanahan, the 49ers are one and thirty-three when trailing by more than 10 points in the second half. That's really discouraging. Uh, the only win came in week 18 of the 2021 season when they trailed the Rams 17-3 and then won in overtime 27-24. And then under Shanahan, the Niners are 4-35 and 35, uh, straight up and 2-37 and 37 against the spread when trailing by three points or more entering the fourth quarter. So we'll see if, if they can reverse that trend. Uh, Ricky Williams says fields to the Seahawks. Seahawks. If the Bears pick uh, Caleb Williams, Larry Coach, it's a match made in heaven. It's scary as hell to think about him in our division for the next decade running around like Russ. Our thoughts. Um, I'm a Fields fan, but yeah. what I've seen from Fields is an awesome skill set where at times he looks incredibly accurate, at times he looks inaccurate. An incredible running ability. The guy runs 4-4 four, four flat. I really like Fields. Um, I think Fields has a better skill set than Caleb. Now, that's just me. Other people like Caleb. Um, and he Caleb looked great at SC. But all I would say is, so did Matt Barkley. So did Rob Johnson. So did Carson Palmer. So did, I mean, SC has a tendency to make quarterbacks look better than they are. I personally like Michael Penix the most of any of these quarterbacks in this draft class. Some people like Drake may some people like Bo Nix. Some people like Caleb. People have told me that Caleb's an all timer. Um, I don't see all timer. I see a good quarterback, athletic quarterback. I see more special traits in Penix. Penix has physical problems that have to be investigated at the combine. That's going to determine where he goes. But I think you saw Michael Penix against Texas last week. And you're going to see him Monday night um, in the Natty. Um, and I, I think Michael Penix is going to win that game. And I think Penix is going to be a top 10 pick. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, ditto. Um, I was on Caleb Williams. Uh, I was a big Caleb Williams guy. And then I started watching him at SC and I fell off. Um, he he's just good. He's good. I just don't know if he's all He deserves to be. Listen, there's no exposure conversation with him like I felt with Bryce. Um, I felt like Bryce was picked way too high for what for what I saw him do at Bama. I'm a Bama guy, and yeah. I was. I've always been saying that I didn't think Bryce was was worth that type of compensation. Um, but great teams can great teams can make quarterback. I mean, Matt Leiner went like what? What wasn't he a top fifteen pick? Yeah, he was a top guy. He wasn't it because he had all those guys around him, right? Um, Reggie and so, everybody. Yeah, literally everybody. So, um, yeah, I'm huge. I'm big on Michael Penix. Um, I think that, but for today's league, I, I do understand that Michael Penix is he kind of fits like the old tradition of what you want in in today's league. You want 
that top five guy, right? You want that 15-year starter who's going to be your, your franchise guy. You can hang it up, build a team around him, and then be done with it. That's what Michael Penix kind of represents. But in today's league, there's a place for Bo Nix. Oh, I, mean, nice. I like, you know I like I mean? Bo Nix. I mean, I like all these guys a little bit. Yeah. I, but I think Penix is great. Penix is the guy. Penix has Penix makes Mahomes look like a rag rag arm. I mean, Penix has got a laser. Yo, Dude, I, I haven't seen Pen, I haven't seen anybody throw the ball like Penix. I mean, Penix to me reminds me of Flacco. I mean, he has got a hose. He, he I, I saw him coach last year in a game in Seattle. There was seen him in person. No, no, I didn't see him. I, I was watching it on TV, but there was 45 okay. mile an hour wins. The other quarterback on that team on the, that they were going against that night basically didn't even throw because they were like, the wind is too much. Michael Penix came out, out going off. His lasers just cut right through the wind. Yeah. And he's got a great arm, man. Yeah. He's got a special arm. He's got a very special arm, especially when you see the way he's the, the confidence of his arm. And he's not even late on throws either. That's what makes him special. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't think Caleb. I don't think that uh, Caleb Williams is on uh, Michael Penix's uh, level. And do you also know, I think, you know, Caleb's a hometown kid. He's from this area. So um, I've been seeing Caleb since he was playing in high school. And he's always been um, a little too cool for school, you know. Uh, but that's his style. He's always going to hold on to the ball way longer than he needs to. He is. He does give you that Patty Mahomes feel of that backyard football feel of being able to get plaster coverage. And that's when he really gets special. Um, the biggest thing with Caleb is I feel like just his, his maturity of taking what's in front of him. He does get bored with the game. He's incredibly accurate, has a powerful ball. Um, but my thing is, is that in today's NFL, consistency, seeing the field and getting the ball out on time is what rules everything. And that's where Caleb kind of misses me sometimes because he's a little reckless with the ball because he's trying to press the game. He plays like he knows he's the most important position on the field, but not from a service perspective, but from a dictatorship like, hey, everything needs to go my way. Um, you would like that sometimes in your guys if they can actually pull it off and use it with maturity, but he's just not there yet. So he does have to change up his game a little bit from a maturity standpoint, how he sees the field. Um, but um, and the only reason why these things are actually highlighted in Caleb Williams is because of the emergence of Michael Penix, man, because he doesn't have any of those issues for him to have as talented of an arm as he does, but still be able to stay ahead of the sticks make the ordinary throws and still take what the defenses gives you. The defense gives him is what makes Michael Penix Jr. Special to me. It's the same reason why I like CJ Stroud is he's got the arm. He could put the ball anywhere on the field, but he still chooses to do the right thing. And that's what you need out of a quarterback. Go for Brokes is pop quiz. Who was the 49th player that John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan ever drafted for the 49ers? I, I have no idea. I could go. I could go. I could. I could go. Uh, I could. I could count to forty nine and go look at their picks. Hold on, 49th Fort, player. Brock Purdy. Brock. No, it couldn't have been Brock Purdy. Well, it could have been because they 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 took over in seventeen. So 17, 18. 18. Hold on, I'm gonna I'm gonna get this answer. Damn it! It's gonna it's gonna derail the show, but I'm gonna get the goddamn answer. Um, <laughs> let me see here. I've got the forty nine er draft history, and I'll count. See who it is. I think it's probably Brock Birdie. 
Um, okay, let's see. 49er draft history all time. Okay, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten in 2017. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, 47, 48. Ding, 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 ding. It was Bart Purdy. Brock Purdy. <sighs> Dude, Look at that. Quizzes. Go for broke. Look at go for broke. I'm not going to lie. These these quizzes are kind of, he's got something going. I like go these quizzes. <laughs> I like these. I guess I saw your I saw you I saw you working go for broke. Mm. Uh Chris Lee or La says I think go for broke's prior service. Air Force veteran. Is he? Yeah. I like the way it's go for broke with a yeah. QUE. Chris uh Chris Lee has become a YouTube member. I was giving him a little little clap. I think he's a YouTube member for the coach's channel. Uh, Chris Lee with this one says, Coach, didn't didn't know you lived in Maryland. Which part of Maryland did you tailgate this past Sunday at the commander game at FedEx? Dude, I live in PG County, Maryland, and I literally walked to the game. Um, I was George. Huh? Something George, right? What is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Prince George's County. Prince George's. I said Phil. Yeah. Yeah, Prince thinking, George's County. I'm thinking NFL today from way, way back. Phyllis George. I know, bro. Uh, but yeah, Prince I didn't George. tailgate. I, I I literally walked to the game, walked straight in, went to my seat, and walked straight out. Had 10 beers and walked home. Like <laughs> I was like, <laughs> <bro. laughs> nice. <laughs> Hell yeah. I got I, I got yo, I did my stream floating. Like I was toe up. So um it was a good time, man. But yeah, I uh, a lot of Niner fans in, in the house. A lot of Niner fans in the house, dude. Let me tell you something about the Niner fans. I don't think. See, this is our first time talking because we didn't do the big show. All right, so That's right. All right, man. Let me tell you about the Niners fans. So, number one, it's a very close knit fan base, right? So I've been to tons of games. I've been around the game all my life, but the feel that I got from the Niner fan base is it felt like we were a college team. Like, it was really close. You know how, like, fans of a college team is, like, family members, moms, cousins, friends of the friends of the team? It was, like, you could tell that there was, like, there wasn't, like, this, like, stranger element of, like, hey, I'm a Niners fan, you're a Niners fan, let's just cheer separately. No, there was, like, this, oh, you're going to engage. You're going to have a conversation with me. We're going to talk about where you're from. We're going to talk about where I need to go eat after this. Like, it was a whole deal. So it's like a real wholesome, it's a wholesome feel. Um, there are There is kind of like a, uh, this is something that I noticed too that was kind of wild, is we were trying to leave the game. So I was one, I was like two rows away from the field. And we turned around, the game's over, right? So we're like turning around to leave, right? And as we're leaving, there's like this huge onslaught of everybody that was like maybe 30 to 40 rows back and coming down because they wanted autographs. So we had to like push through a crowd just to get out of the stadium. Like 
you can see where like why these guys move the way they do. Like there's fans that treat this. They're not like fans of the team. It's almost like we're like a band. We're like a music group or something. Like we're like, we're like in sync. <laughs> like, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like there's like separate contingencies. It's a boy band. It's 98 degrees or something. It's like, and like George comes to the sideline. He's like hamming it up with the crowd, like a WWE star making all of these facial expressions. Ooh, he, it's like, like it's, it's a whole production, bro. Like there are guys on the team where you could tell, like, I'm here to play a game. I'm here to, you know, we're trying to win. And I don't, I don't fault that they're all trying to win, but there's definite players that love the attention from the fans and they ham it up with the fans. And you could tell that there's this huge uh, transference of energy. It was, it was, it was interesting to be a part of. Um, the Niner fan is a force of freaking nature. The Niner yeah. fan, and I'm not saying this because I'm I'm a Niner fan. I'm saying this because this it's is the this truth. Is my, this is my this is a, I think the truth and my observation. Because of Joe, Ronnie, Jerry, Steve, because of the Niners' iconic uh, status, the Niners packed the house on the road as well as any team in football. The Niners have fans. I mean, look how many Niner content creators there are who don't live in the market because Niner fans are everywhere. They're everywhere. Yeah. And now they're expanding internationally. It's an empire. It really is an empire. London is a big Niner hub. Now Um, the New York city of basically of, of Europe is, is like a, is, you know, London's the Niners are one of the most popular teams in London. Look at Mm -hmm. what the, look at what the attendance looked like when the Niners played in Mexico city. The attendance at the commander's game was 70-30 ers Wow. It's amazing. It's awesome. 70-30 ers I'm gonna tell yeah. you, like I went to the game, the the, the commander stadium, FedEx Field, it used to be the biggest stadium in the league. So it used to hold six figures, about like 105, 108. And then as time went along and they sucked more and more, they started like putting in like garter rails. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> they put together like a like a like a promenade that you can go out and stand on. So there's a lot less seats. All told, I would say FedEx probably sits like maybe like 65 to 70 now. But was it whole, sold out? Was it sold out for the game? No, no, not even close. So the whole upper the whole upper ring of the of the stadium was spotty, very spotty, not a lot of people. The middle tier was more Redskins fans, but it still was like maybe 50% full. But that whole bottom bowl, like the meat of the stadium, that was like 80, 29ers fans. And it was wow. Wow. Yeah. Like there were times where like we were, there was like, they were screaming for defense. (laughs) We were screaming for defense on our, on like, on like big downs where the commanders were supposed to be like screaming for offense. Like it was, it was bad. It was that lopsided. Like to the point where the camera guys, I'm sorry, Larry, but I have to say this. The camera guys, they were going up to spots on the field where there were commanders fans 
and they were trying to like get enough Commanders fans in the shot to cheer for B roll for the for the for the for the broadcast. You know how like they had the B, the B roll for the broadcast of the fans cheering in front of the cameraman, right, like right. on the edge of the stadium. They were engineering that in the commander stadium. Like you could see the cameraman telling guys to like with signs like, dude, move closer. I can't shoot all this shit. It's not enough of you guys move closer so we can get (laughs) like a dynamic shot. So it at least looks like there's like 50 people in this shot when there's really like 10 of you guys. That's how many Niners fans were there. The Niners took over Heinz Field in week one. You could hear Let's Go Niners. They took over Dallas. They took over L.A. Um, It's, you know, they don't really take over up in Seattle. That's the one spot they take over in Arizona. Um, You know, it's 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 really it's it's amazing. It's awesome. And the players appreciate it. Um, It it makes going on the road an easier proposition because you're not alone. You've got your whole all your fans in the house. Uh, the other fan bases feel feel it. I don't know if they fear it, but they definitely feel it. Oh no, uh, they feel it. They yeah. feel it. Oh, they feel it. They feel it. And the players, uh, I've talked to the players, and they 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 love it. They absolutely love it. Go for Brooks's pop quiz answer. Incidentally, he was also the compensatory pick that the Niners got for C.J. Beathard, which was the two hundred sixty second pick in twenty twenty two. Brock freaking Purdy. All right, two last ones before we call it quits. We're almost two hours into our live stream. Appreciate every single one of you guys for jumping in. Um, we're brought to you by Pig and a Pickle, the best barbecue in Northern California, New York-style Italian sausage, Marin Auto Glass, marinautoglass.com, and uh, Underdog Fantasy and Mojo Fantasy. Check that link in the description. Use the promo code KRUG, uh, K-R-U-E-G, and they'll match you your first $100. Um, Jason Verrett done for the year. This guy has torn both ACLs. He's had two Achilles blow, blowouts. He's had a, a labrum tear and now he lands on his shoulder and he's got rotator cuff surgery and he's done. Yeah. And he's probably done, done like forever career. Um, yeah. And and this is a local kid who's from Fairfield an amazing story, really. One of the great athletes uh, produced by this area. And when I say that, people are like, well, crew, come on, pump the brakes. No, this guy ran 438 at 510, 185 pounds. He had 19 reps on the bench, and that was with a shoulder injury. He had already had a torn labrum. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's he's always been strong, fast. He's always been, in many ways, the prototype physically of what you're looking for. He cannot stay healthy and in practice he landed on the shoulder and mm-hmm. they had to put him on IR and Shanahan said uh, he hopes JV the man they call JV and who's so beloved in the Niner locker room sticks around because the Niners have five young DBs and um, they look up to this guy and mm-hmm. they, they're hoping that he sticks around yeah. um, I said last week and the week before that even though you got Logan Ryan and even though you got Jason Verrett if it was up to me I would lean on Samuel Womack and Darrell Luter um, and not the young guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's pretty obvious that Womack doesn't have a lot of, doesn't have a high level of trust from the coaches. Um, and right. he's been buried on the depth chart. He gets special team snaps um, early in his career. They were projecting him as a nickel. 
Uh, but all 26 of his defensive snaps this season have been out on the outside. I talked to him in the locker room on Thursday, and he's in a good mindset. And he's ready to roll. Now, Darrell Luter Jr., the Niners' fifth-round pick out of South Alabama in this most recent draft, spent the first half of his rookie year on the pup list, and they activated him. He's played 20 snaps all outside on the corner, and he's a mature, athletic kid, and there's no doubt that um, – that you're going to see Luter and Womack a lot uh, in this game. And I, I think that these are the two guys that I really want to see on the back end. I believe that Womack and Luter can, can play meaningful roles for the 49ers in the playoffs and in the Super Bowl. Um, and I, in a way, I'm kind of, I'm not glad that Verrett got hurt, but I'm glad that it didn't happen later on and that now they've got a, a game here where they can take a more serious look at Womack the third and Luter Jr. and uh, kind of project them into um, playing some role of significance in the playoffs. So, give me your thoughts, Coach, on on Verrett. I mean, it's just it's a it's a sad story. This guy was a first it's round rough. pick, first round. Yeah, it's ducks, man. Awesome. Out of TCU, can't stay healthy. Yeah, out of TCU, drafted in the year two thousand fourteen. Um, he's been in the league. How many years has he been in the league? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight years. Um, this is one of these things where you can't go by the numbers, right? It's more about the man than the player. Uh, he's only played two full seasons in his career. Um, 2015 and in 2020, he gave us 13 games. In right. 2015, he gave us 13 games. I mean, that was it. Um, he's got seven picks in his entire career and 125 solo tackles in his entire career. I mean, so even if you're going over the numbers, it's kind of like, what is this guy going to actually give us? But he was going to play a lot, according to Shanahan. That's why I wanted to start with it is because, um, you know, it's just his body. Uh, when JV's on the field and he's healthy, he shows to be one of the best corners in the league. Full stop. But it's just his body. Um, and uh, at this stage of the game, he's made a shit ton of money for the production that he's put in. Um, so I'm sure he's upset that he can't really give it a go. But it does look like he's going to have to sit it down for a little while. And maybe at 33 years old next year, you know, maybe somebody does give him a call. I would never shut the door on somebody's career, no matter where they are in the context of it, right? Because I know how it feels to have people tell you what you should do with your career, but they didn't play it. You know, they didn't, they didn't sweat. They didn't sacrifice for it. They didn't put down like, you know, this is this man's persona. You have to understand the type of guy Jason Verrett is, is that if he can garner the type of respect he does from all of these guys, but on paper, it looks as though that he just can't get, make it on the field. So you're dealing with somebody who it's kind of like, if you know, you know, type of player. Um, a with, leader, too. A very respected leader. Very when he respected, worked out, yeah. There was like six, seven guys who veterans who came out to watch it. Um, you know, and it's I feel I feel sad for him because he was in Houston. Are you? Yeah. Was he what? Yeah, he was in, he Houston. Was in Houston. He was on their practice squad. And and obviously he wanted to come home. They, they let him loose. He came here. He signed right away. I did an interview with him that you can watch on my YouTube channel a few weeks ago. And I was rooting for this guy. Every guy in the room was. Shanahan says he hopes he sticks around because he's, you know, it's funny. It's like 
there are there are guys that that we don't realize how respected they are uh, by the other guys in the room. Eric Armstead is one of those guys, and Jason Verrett is one of those guys. Yeah, definitely. And uh, you can see how guys respond to him. I mean, outside of those two, um, maybe Trent is respected on that level. Um, I would say, uh, outside of outside of those two, um, you know. I don't think we're losing necessarily anything with the leadership situation because he's going to be around. Right. Um, so that's something that, <clears throat> you know, it sucks. I'm trying, I'm, I'm walking on kick. I'm handling this one with kick gloves because Jason is a very respected player. I don't know him, but I'm just being respectful for what the guys say. Um, kind of shifting gears though. Um, I really want to see what Darrell Luter Jr. is going to do. It's time. He's he looks great in his pads. I've been seeing him. He's been popping on special teams. He's been showing his speed. Uh, but you know, again, this defense and this coaching staff is all about trust. If you don't get trust from this coaching staff, especially during practice, you will not play. We've seen that time and time again, right? So you have to ask yourself, what are they not seeing from Darrell Luter Jr. and Samuel Womack for them not to be inserted into the lineup? Um, with uh, Samuel Womack, maybe we're kind of looking at his physicality, a little bit of the missed, missed assignments with him being on the field. Those are some of the things that I see when he plays. But with Darrell Luter Jr., I really want to see him locked in at that slot or even at that outside corner position uh, and kind of sit Ambry down and see what Darrell Luter, Luter can do. Um, I will. I would be excited to see them start. I would love to see them get the start or at least get significant playing time tomorrow. No doubt. No doubt. Uh, Luter to me is in a lot of ways, the physical prototype. So, um, Dress man, guy, long, strong, yeah. you know, uh, a couple last ones here. There's a report out that, um, Brandon Allen, that the Niners view Brandon Allen as their quarterback two potentially for 2024, that right. Sam Darnold, cause he's going to go would probably jump to a place where he could play more. I mean, Sam Darnold came here with the idea, Hey man, Brock's got some injuries and we don't know. And maybe you'll get a chance to be on the field. And then Brock stayed remarkably healthy and Sam Darnold has barely played. He said he has no regrets, but I think Sam Darnold moves on. What do you think of next year going forward with a quarterback room of Brock, Brandon Allen, and somebody maybe that you draft? Yeah, I don't have a problem with it. Brock is Brock is our guy. Um, I would like to see a little bit more of what we have in Brandon Allen. And this is kind of like the great conversation to have with the quarterback room now, right? We know who our guy is. There's no hubbub. We can look at like, who's the strong number two. And uh, yeah, Brandon Allen showed himself to be Brandon Allen showed himself to be uh, serviceable in preseason. Um, so I don't, I don't have a problem with Brandon Allen getting in there. I would like to see another youth, another youth acquisition to get somebody else in, um, in the, uh, in the organization, um, maybe through the draft, somebody that's free. Uh, but yeah, I don't have a problem with Sam, with Sam Donald bouncing. And I get it. They look at how they brought him in. They, that's why the, the posture and how he was brought into the organization was confusing. They nabbed him up right away. Remember, like they got him right away. They gave him guaranteed money. Okay. They started talking about how he was the greatest thrower of the football the organization has ever seen. Kyle said, Why can't he be the next Steve Young? 
and he was on a one year deal with all of this money. So for me, I was looking at, man, maybe this is a situation where we're kind of like waiting on Sam to play. But now where we are in the season, it looks like maybe those are the contingencies that they had to give Sam in order f- in order to lock him down with understanding that our true A plan is working with Brock and seeing him through. And it seems as though we haven't had to go to him, which I'm pleased. Free agent quarterbacks um, this offseason. Here are the free agent. Here are the unrestricted free agent quarterbacks. This is going to be the free agent market as far as quarterbacks. Uh, Kirk Cousins, Tannehill, Jacoby Brissett, Tyrod Taylor, Marcus Mariota, Sam Darnold, Jameis Winston, Drew Locke, Baker Mayfield, uh, Gardner Minshew, who I wouldn't mind Gardner Minshew either, the way Minshew has played. I just love the way he comes off the bench. He's just no fear at all. I'd take him. Teddy Bridgewater, Tyler Huntley, Joe Flacco, who's probably earned himself a nice pay, paycheck with the way he's played. Joshua Dobbs, Easton Stick, uh, Nate Sudfeld, Blaine Gabbert, Josh Johnson, uh, Kyle Allen, Brandon Allen, Trevor Simeon, A.J. McCarron, Matt Barkley, Mason Rudolph, Logan Woodside, Garrett Gilbert. Interesting list of uh, free agent quarterbacks this year, for sure. Uh, of that list... I mean, obviously, Cousins is going to go somewhere to be a starter, and, and right. he's going to make big money. But of that list, I like Mariota. Mariota, that's that was my that was my pick. I like Mariota. I like the way I like the way that Drew Locke played against the Niners. He did. Um, to me, he was impressive. I really like Minshew. Uh, I like Flacco. Um, I, I I thought I liked Dobbs early in the year, but man, Dobbs looks so bad in that Bears game. Yeah, he did. I, you know, I you know, I'm stained from liking Dobbs going forward. But, um, yeah, uh, some interesting names there. All right. Yeah, I mean, but the only thing about those guys is, like, which one of those guys will be a number three, right? Because our issue is that we we got Brandon Allen locked in. But Brandon Allen's one of the guys. He's a free agent. So I'm just saying (laughs) they they, they, they could go away from Brandon Allen, too. I mean, Mm -hmm. and and I think Brandon Allen's probably going to be here. But, um, but yeah, I mean, maybe, who knows? Maybe Brandon Allen wants to go somewhere else too, but you know, they could take another look at their, at their um, backup quarterbacks. I would like to see if you could find somebody in the draft. Crazy rod 16. Yes. I was there in section or in DC section one twenty one. We dominated the stadium. Yeah. Crazy rod said coach. Next time you, next time you could host 49er faithful barbecue. Oh, we could do it, man. That would be fun. Hell yeah. There's nothing better than a tailgater. And Ricky Williams says, if the entire team gets into a bar fight with each other, who wins, offense or defense? Defense. Defense. Defense always wins. <laughs> defense always wins. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, you got Greenlaw and Kinlaw on one side. I'll Come take, on, bro. I'll take defense. Who's take defense. fighting Nick? Who's going to fight Dre? Yeah. Um, <laughs> who's going to fight Cleveland Farrell? He's who's going to fight Cleveland Farrell? Who's going to fight Javon Kinlaw? Yeah. I mean, you got some. If I had to say who are the toughest guys in the room, I would probably say they're mostly on defense. I'd probably go uh, Kinlaw, Cleveland Farrell, Chase Young, Dre Greenlaw. Who else? Who else? Who else? Um, and then I would probably go on offense, Brandon Ayuk, and um, you know, it's you know, it's really tough. 
is Juwan Jennings. Yeah, Juwan Jennings. Yeah, let me tell you something. Juwan Jennings gives me that walk in the school hallways in the middle of class feel. Like that kid <laughs> that you're in class. <laughs> you look over into the hallway and it's Juwan like <laughs> Juwan gives me that I walk the hallways during school feel. Two last questions. Brandon Ayuk did not make the Pro Bowl. Why? Why did Brandon Ayuk make the Pro Bowl? Is it because he's, not he's, the num- he's, he's too not, quiet? He's not the number one option on a he's very efficient. talented team. He's you not saw the number those one. numbers, though, Coach. 1,300-plus yards, 97 targets. Puka, by example, or by comparison, has like fourteen hundred yards, but he's got like a he's got like hundred and fifty targets. He's got like you know he's got like way over fifty more targets. You know another thing for BA two is that BA doesn't get a lot of like one on one looks. Like BA doesn't get a lot of like he doesn't get a lot of like he it's he doesn't get a lot of positions where he gets to showcase what he truly can do. Right, very rarely is he given like full route tree for him to just go out and go for broke and go up and go get balls. A lot of the stuff that he runs is where Kyle utilizes him to uh, be a weapon in their offense and inside of their scheme. And, you know, to be honest with you, a lot of people don't recognize how special BA is because, you know, sometimes he's running open. Sometimes he's running schemes that get him in a position where he doesn't necessarily have to use contested catches. And that's basically not the MO of what the best receivers in the game are, right? That's not how we look at the best receivers in the game. We look at the best receivers in the game like when T.O. was here, like Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, guys that go, they hunt what they eat. You don't got to scheme them open. Just put the ball up. I'll go get it, right? Those type of guys, like where you come to a game and that receiver puts fear into the secondary that he's facing, because they know that they can't cover him with one man. So, you know, B.A. is there. He's 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 pushing, but he's got a whole nother level to get into. And I almost feel bad for him because he's doing a remarkable job for his production. And he more than deserves his money. And he's doing it on a running team who has the least amount of passing attempts in the NFL. So it's kind of he's he's stuck in like this no man's land with us being a receiver because it's like, I don't get featured. I'm not the number one offensive option. The identity of the team is running the ball. Ain't nobody going to be putting me in pro bowling for how good I block, which is an actual stat that is, that's, that's something that I actually do good. Right? Like nobody, that stuff doesn't come up when it's time to vote uh BA in for pro bowl. So I think, I think it has to do with the timing. I mean, if you said to me, Hold on, wait a minute, what did that say? He said he's a poor man's uh, Puka Nakua. Oh, get bent. That's ass. That is not true. Puka Nakua is not better than BA. No, no, no. We way. do drug no tests way. at this show, son. But Puka, it yeah, it's funny. Uh, Mooney Ward said yesterday there's one receiver that's a Pro Bowler, and I won't name him, but Brandon should have been named a Pro Bowler for him. And I know he's talking about Puka Nakua. Yeah. Nakua's good. But Naku is yeah, not. That's what I'm, I'm trying to chill because Nikua's I don't a, want to. I don't want to shit on the player because of the shitty take. I want to find a way how to take Puka Nakua out of this and just dump on Jim Everett because that is an ass take. 
Like that is not better than BA. You're tripping. Yeah. Without no, luggage. Come on. come on. Um the one thing about if you said to me, give me a 49er that was rated higher than you thought and it, it over the last couple of years, and I would say it's Talanoa Hafanga who's been given all pro status. And I love I love Hafanga. Don't get me wrong. Huff's an awesome dude. I've right. said it I've said it many times. I mean, he's the kind of guy you want your daughter to marry. I mean, he's an awesome person and he's a very good football player. But he had some high profile great plays early in years or early in the season. And people put him in a category when they see the long hair and some of the impact plays. Like he's that is, Palomalu. That is Troy, yeah. Yeah. But he's not Palomalu. He doesn't run like Palomalu. Um, he's a damn good player. Don't get me wrong. But as far as like all pro, I don't know. Um, I think Ayuk's on the other end of that. Ayuk had two touchdowns eight games in. And I think that if he had had the touchdown production that he had in the second half in the first half, then maybe he's he's a, he's a pro bowler. But because he had a lot of his production late in the year, I, I think they it's easy to overlook him. And also, mm-hmm. people don't realize that the Niners have so many weapons that, you know, he's kind of like, to me, he reminds me, if there's a guy that he reminds me of, it's John Taylor. John Taylor was about 6'1", but he had long arms, um, 6'1", 6'2", but he played like a 6'4", 6'5", guy. Um, mm-hmm. Same with Ayuk. Ayuk's like 6'1", but he looks like the biggest receiver on the field because he's got such long arms. He's physical. He'll run across the middle with not an ounce of fear. He hustles his ass off down the field to get a block in. He loves to bury guys in the, in the, run, in the run game or, yeah. or down the field as a blocker. He's mm-hmm. awesome, man. To me, that one, my favorite play this year, what game was it? I forget. It was a Pittsburgh where Ray Ray and Ayuk both hustled down the left sideline and got Just a block Christian. in. Yeah, they got a block in at like the five mm-hmm. uh, to, to help Christian get in. I mean, those were two awesome, awesome plays. All right, big question here on the end here. We got two, two go. last ones. One is this is, we'll, we'll go with the non-Niner one and we'll finish with the Niner one. According to Diana Rossini of The Athletic, the the Raiders are hoping to get a chance to meet with Bill Belichick if he's let go by the Patriots. Now, that's interesting to me because the Raiders hired Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler away from New England and then fired them both. You know, they 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 fired McDaniels. They started three and five. They fired Ziegler who spent a decade in New England's front office. And so obviously there's something about New England that they're trying to replicate, but then they felt like when they got an up-close look at Ziegler and McDaniels that those guys weren't it. I've, I had Jason Lockenfora, who's in from your part of the world there, Coach, mm-hmm. on the radio a couple of weeks ago. I said, what's, what's the next move for Belichick? You know, And he's like, well, I don't think he's going to be back next year. And there's all kinds of indications that tomorrow – will be Belichick's final game with the Patriots. Yeah. Um, And I said, what's his next role going to be? And he's like, he's not going to, he's, he doesn't think he's going to coach or be a GM that he's going to be like, you know, a football operations consultant uh, consultant or something somewhere. But what do you think? I mean, if you're Bill Belichick, what do you think of Bell? What do you think of Mark Davis giving Belichick uh, kind of the keys to the kingdom and letting him kind of, build uh, whatever he wants to build uh, in Vegas. Uh, 
Okay, so <clears throat> I respect Bill Belichick. Tom Brady's already a part owner, by the way. True. The Raiders. Yeah, which which is even more reason why why I'm about to say my take. I think that it's absolutely wild that Bill Belichick would give the Raiders any type of look. Um, I don't, I think that he feels like he went. The organization is beneath him. To be honest with you, it'd be a little weird to for his legacy. He's 72. All right, he's he's got six rings. I just and also, it's not like Nick, right? Like Coach Saban, he's got the autonomy to to be agile, right? Because he's in college. So if the tide changes on nil recruiting, how you're how uh, conferencing, all of those things, uh, bringing in staff. All of those things could be controlled if you got a university and a and an athletic director that give you the power to do it as a head coach, right? But if you're a coach in the NFL, you're kind of strapped to the times of what the bottom line is. And I feel like Bill may be a little bit of a dinosaur in today's league. He doesn't have enough time to develop these guys. I mean, think about what Coach Belichick does. He strips away all of the fanfare. He completely isolates the team. He runs every literal part of the team and everybody has to do their job. And right before guys get too big headed or get enough money, he trades them for assets, moves forward, and he practices the hell out of the boys and develop his best guys were guys that he had time to develop, right? He's a great DB coach who was also an elite defensive coordinator. I don't know that he's an elite personnel guy. Okay. I will say this. I think that it'd be best for a coach to, to hang it up. He's just not his league anymore. He, he don't have the bandwidth, the time. And quite frankly, like a lot of these coaches now, they're specialists. They're not coaches. They're specialists. They're coordinators. They're guys that have a scheme that can put together some stuff. And if you can just slap a little bit of personality on these dorks, that's they'll, they turn them into head coaches, but very few guys are actual, like, you know, soup to nuts, a to Z head coaches where I'm going to get a guy, develop them. I know how to scout the guy. I know how to bring him in. I know how to coach coaches. That's a big thing, right? I know how to build an entire platform where my coaching staff is not going to get poached. Um, and I'm going to have good relations with ownership where I'm going to have the autonomy to do what I need to do and have time to do what I need to do. I don't think that that exists anymore really for teams in the league. And I feel like you need a kind of a new age coach that in a way, all they do care about is football, literally like the game. Like they're like glorified gamers. Like they care about winning the game. Mark Davis wants a star name. You know, Antonio Pierce has the support of the locker room. Um, a lot of guys there want to see him be the full-time head coach, but there's also a lot of rumors about Jim Harbaugh being given, you know, the keys to the kingdom and we'll see if Harbaugh gets it done Monday night. Um, what is your prediction by the way, Monday night, you like Michigan or you like Washington, Washington, I like Washington too. How about yeah. that final year of the Pac-12, and they're gonna maybe win it, the national it, championship. I love it. They deserve it. They deserve it's it. It's an amazing thing. All right, last one. We'll finish with this. Okay. If the 49ers don't win the Super Bowl, 
What will be the reason? Offensive line. It'll be O line and Kyle. O line and Kyle. Yeah, we just not gonna get we just not gonna get our asses beat on defense. That's not gonna happen. We got that's the part of our team where we can line up with almost anybody. Um, I think that if we don't if we don't win it, it's gonna be that O line, and we all gonna be talking about Kyle's scheme, like we always are. If we if we if we don't win it, it's gonna be on that O line, and we're gonna be talking about what was Kyle thinking. It's gonna be something about him coaching during the game. Or something about him not coming off of a game plan that he put together that we all see wasn't working. Mm. That's the long and short of it. That's us. That's the Niners. Uh, uh, my answer, I'm going to go with um, Brock Purdy interceptions. Mm. The Niners have four losses this year. In their four losses, Brock Purdy has nine interceptions. If the 49ers don't win the Super Bowl, it's going to be because of Brock Purdy interceptions. It's not okay. going to be because of, and that might be right into your O line, really, right? Because it's all kind of tied together. Yeah, but um, but that's what I would say. I just don't see Brock, Brock Purdy there throwing picks in the O line is having a great day. <laughs> I don't see that. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. But that's to me that is it. If Brock Purdy can take the check down, take what the defense gives him really be disciplined about taking care of the football. Be patient. You got to remember this. You got a great defense. Now you got a great defense. You got a great punter. Mm -hmm. You got a punter that can stick teams inside their 20 and force them to drive at 85 yards for a touchdown between Wishnowski and this defense, especially if Armstead comes back and Greenlaw's rested and, you know, the young DBs start to start to, you know, play, uh, you know, Jair Brown's back. I think the 49er, all Brock's got to do is not turn it over. With the weapons he has and Kyle calling the plays, um, that with the NFC being down, if Purdy can just not turn the football over, um, I think I think that's the key. That's the key. Four losses, nine picks on 120 pass attempts. Uh, you know, don't turn it over. Don't turn it over, and um, I think the Ford Niners are going to win it all. I think Ford Niners are going to win it all. Um, we got one in this in here that really intrigues me, and it's out of nowhere. Big Dez, James, James Williams, Williams, James Williams six, from five, Miami, six five safety from Dude, Miami. He's a James big boy. Williams is one of my favorite prospects in the draft. He's a big now, boy. Bang, I like Malachi Moore though. Malachi Moore, I love Malachi Moore as well. I was looking at both those guys. They say James Williams is going to go second round, maybe third round, depending on how he runs. He's six five, safety. Who I got to see how he runs. That you he know, may that's be a linebacker. He may be a linebacker, but you know what? I love James Williams and I love Cameron Kitchens. I love both those Hurricane safeties uh, in this draft. You know what James Williams can be more too. You know what? You know what James Williams can be. What he can be what the Cardinals tried to do with Isaiah Simmons and Dion. Remember, uh, what was that? Dion Buchanan? Dion Buchanan? Dion Buchanan from Wazoo? Yeah. Remember how they tried to start bringing in like that star, like that, like almost kind of like that Cam Chancellor with speed. hybrid. Yeah, like that hybrid star, uh, like a uh, dime linebacker type of role. Like if we got 
a James Williams to be able to pull that off. That would be crazy if we got that. That'd be wild. Dude, coach, I didn't know you were uh, dialed in on the Canes. James yeah. Williams, I've already done my deep dives for the draft, and I'm I'm getting ready. As soon as the season ends, I'm going to be coming out with all kinds of of uh, of draft stuff. Dog, we got to hook up on the James draft. It would be Williams. shameful for two scouts not to go in on drafts, dude. We got to go in on draft. Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm all about it. Uh, yeah. I love that kid, though. Amari Mims kid. is my guy who I want us to get in the first round. That's my guy. Yeah, Amarius Mims. Amarius Mims, sorry. Amarius yeah. Mims. Yeah. Yeah. He's he, he's a great feat. But James Williams is like 6'4, 6'5, 220 pounds. He wears number zero. <laughs> um, the guy is special, man. He was special as a freshman. Um yeah. he's he's a crazy athlete. And uh yeah, James Williams. He's he's he that's I'm, like I'm, that. You know what that is? That's Kyle Hamilton type game changing stuff. Like yeah. if we're going to watch Kyle Hamilton do what he did on defense, then James Williams is is where you want to go. Special player, man. Special player. Um, I'll, yeah, he's he is one of the best safeties in the country. I love Cameron Kitchens, too. Uh, he's a real center fielder at free safety. He had the mm -hmm. most interceptions in the Power Five this past season. Mm -hmm. um, he, you know, Cameron Kitchens is a hell of a player. He led all safeties in the country. He had a ninety PFF grade, ninety point seven coverage grade, six picks. Um, Cam Kitchens is is real, but James Williams is no. He's a he's too. a um. You know, James Williams. Honestly, if we're going to keep it real. And I, I dare say his name, but my all-time favorite football player, Sean Taylor. Sean Taylor. That's my all-time favorite football player. Sean Taylor. That's that's the vibes he gives you. He's long. He's big. He's fast. He's mean as a fucking rattlesnake. He has range. He's heady. I. He's a generational. He's a generational player. If you get, especially in today's league. I'm sitting him white right now, and I'm watching the acceleration. This kid's got gate. <sighs> hey, we got James Williams, man. He's he may be he may not drop James out of the top Williams. fifteen. You got uh, well, God, man, he's gonna have to work out great. He's gonna have to work out great. But I almost at, don't want him to look at this video. If I can play it here from, uh, do I have it? Where's the Cam Kitchens video? I'm sitting here watching this, man. Like Jesus Christ. Wait a second. Let me stop sharing here. I got this one more. I'm gonna. I gotta throw in here. You guys gotta see this. He's long too. Um, Cam Kitchens though too. Both these guys are really special. Uh, look at this. Look at this video right here. Let me see. From Kitch. This is Kitchens. I'm gonna build this thing up. Fuck it. Sign them both. Yeah. Seriously, I would take both these guys. Look at some of the video on this kid. This is Cam Kitchens from. The Hurricanes. Let's see. Let's see if we can roll this tape. Um, uh, it's revving up here. Let's see yeah, it may take a little bit. It may take a second. But, you know, Cam Kitchens and James Williams, soup, both super special players. Hell yeah. Okay. Hell yeah. Um, and Kitchens, I mean, Kitchens is smaller. Williams is big and rangy, but they're both really, really good. I guess it's not going to roll. Um, 
anyway, we'll get into the draft stuff a lot in the springtime for sure. Coach, uh, great stream. Thanks to everybody. Uh, let's see. Do we have one more here? We do from Ricky William. Oh, no, no. From uh, we got that one. Strawberry reacts. Larry lost faith in Brock Purdy after the Ravens. No longer uh, Purdy profit. No, no. I'm, I'm just saying if the Niners lose, they've lost four times this year. In those four games, Purdy's thrown nine picks. What I'm saying is I believe totally in Brock Purdy. If Brock Purdy throw takes care of the football, 49ers are going to win. 49ers are going to win. They're, the only way they're not going to win is if, because here's the thing, they have the bye weeks now. So that takes care of the missed tackles, you know, fatigue on defense, right? That was one of my big concerns. Would they be too fatigued on defense? They're not going to be too fatigued on defense. Um, they've given Armstead the rest. They're going to be able to give Greenlaw some rest. They're going to be fresh on D. So that was a concern. How, how you know, and, and then O-line, I kind of like the way the O-line um, has come together. It stayed healthy. They still, you know, they picked up Barch. They've got some better depth. Um, you know, the, the run defense, I think, will help be helped by the, by the freshness of the defense. Um, and really just, it comes down to the rustiness. I don't believe is going to be a factor. So to me, the, the issues were O-line rustiness, run defense, and then interceptions or slash Purdy's inexperience. And I think that if Brock, now that he gets a, a week off, I think it will be a mental reset. If, um, if he just takes care of the football, I like the Niners. I like the Niners. Um, all right, coach. What do you got cooking the rest of the day? You, you watch these games. Some of these, uh, football games. What are we? Yeah, doing? I'm watching a couple of these games, man. Steelers, Ravens at one thirty. Texans, Colts tonight at five fifteen. Um, Texans are favored by one. Steelers favored by three. I like the Ravens. I like the Ravens at home. Yeah, me too. It's gonna be good to watch just some ball. I mean, we're we're kind of coming down to the real to the realness, man. Like you know, NBA's ramping up. Uh, Warriors are ridiculous for trying to get rid of Kaminga. God, all I all I gotta say about that is if you can get like a Lori Markinen out of Utah, okay, fine. Other than that, trade Wiggins, keep Kuminga, and yeah. God, Steve Kerr. I mean, what are you doing? What are it's you doing? That kid's playing great, and you get beat in the fourth quarter by 16 points, and he doesn't get off the pine. I mean, come on, man. I mean, yeah. it's almost like Steve. Um, is he is he trying to cause a rift on the team? I mean, what what's going on? I got on? no clue, man. I got no clue. Sorry. But I, everybody's cut kind of, that raised my eyebrows. I'm not even a Warriors fan. Um, Who's your so, team? Lakers. They suck. Yeah, the Lakers yeah. are talking about trading for Dejounte Murray. I mean, the Lakers are trying to cares, shake it up bro. too. Who cares? They're ass. Horrible. <laughs> <laughs> they are, bro. They are so cheeks. Like I am not a fan for real. Like. You know what I want to say, but LeBron, man, I just I'm waiting for him to go. I mean, I want my team back. I hear it. I hear you. I hear you. LeBron is a he's a drama queen for sure. He's a he's... polarizing guy, man. I want my team back. <laughs> JM six one seven says LeBron even knows the Lakers is done. Ah, uh, there you go. And Jimbo throws a bang bang forty nine. Bang bang. Bang bang. All right, everybody, uh, Coach's channel is bang-bang underscore 49. Give him a like. Give him a follow. 
Everybody have a great Saturday. Enjoy some football. Go Niners. Check us out tomorrow at the Santa Clara Hilton with me and Lonia leading into the pregame. We'll do postgame afterwards. Are you doing postgame tomorrow uh, with Vish? Yeah. This is me being Vish's first day back, first uh, show back uh, for our postgame. I'm going to have the walkthrough before. And uh, right now, guys, I was going to do a call-in show, but... We got a little bit of power issues with a storm going on. If you guys are around this area, we got a storm going on. So I'll I'll put out something to see if we're going to do a call to show later on today. Sounds good. For the coach, I'm Larry. Have a great Saturday, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Krug Show. Thanks to New York Style Sausage, Pig in a Pickle, Marin Auto Glass, Underdog Fantasy, Mojo Fantasy. We are out. Yeah, never met a man I've been scared of. Careful, you won't get exactly what you asked for. Careful, 